Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Yeah, well, Blackwater River is going to be a little damp. Well, actually, the river is always damp, but I mean, the shoreline is going to be a little damp today, too. Uh, it's raining out here, and so we've got some waves of rain coming through. I don't hear any thunder or lightning or see any lightning, which is good because that, uh, that tends to knock the power out here, which seems to go on a fairly regular basis. So I, I've heard about this UPS um, device that'll, that'll actually keep my power when, uh, when the power does go out. So it's like a little battery or something like that. So uh, that's in the works. <laughs> that's in the plans uh, because I don't like losing the show and having to restart it. But if for any reason the show does you know, suddenly blank out, uh, I can restart the episode. Although I hate doing that because split shows never, never quite get as many uh, listeners as the, as the regular shows. So anyway, I hope you're sharing. Hope you're sharing with your friends. Hope you're sharing uh, the shows. Hope you're sharing the bills. And I've just, uh, I'm trying to get uh, Dr. Latipo back on the show again. Uh, well, actually trying to get him back on the show. He was scheduled before the midterm elections. Uh, Dr. Latipo is the Surgeon General um, of Florida uh, because there's a new push out by uh, Governor DeSantis and, and Dr. Latipo to uh, go after the, the vaccine manufacturers for what they're doing and, and to sort of, you know, correct the redress, you know, the, the grievous uh, injuries and deaths that uh, they're being brought upon them. And of course, we've always had a bill since uh, 2019 to do exactly that. Uh, it's easily adapted to the state level. And that's our vaccine product liability bill, which is available at writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Go to um, the legislation uh, item on the menu bar, uh, click down three, all proposed laws, and you'll find not only our vaccine product liability bill, you'll find our big tech censorship bill, which ends censorship. And so those are the two big ones right now. And I'm just, I'm flabbergasted why we don't have more attention on these bills. Why, why the show isn't being shared, why the bills aren't being shared, why uh, it's not in the news. And I've certainly sent it to enough news people, you know, and this, there's a disconnect here. So uh, if you have any thoughts for me, we've got the live chat. You can type in live chat uh, and uh, tell me what's going on. We've got the Skype line. You can call in from anywhere in the world. Uh, we've got the world's, you know, greatest and only, <laughs> what's makes the world greatest, uh, bill writing site uh, connected to a radio show. So I'm not sure what else we can do at this point until we get uh, we break through the censorship but that's our biggest problem it's like people don't hear about us because we can't, we we um we can't break through the uh the, the algorithms that are that are keeping my show you know quiet uh, i'm not quiet but they're keeping the show quiet so it's really up to you uh, if you want to see you know any kind of change uh I, I honestly believe this is the place you know where that change is going to happen um and i'm, I'm not just you know well maybe i'm being arrogant but quite honestly, I look around and I see uh, things like the Heritage Foundation, uh, the, Republic, the Republican Party, you know, the big political donors, you know, even Donald Trump himself. And, and say, where's the change? Where's the, where's the change? The, the geldings aren't going to do it. The gelding old party certainly isn't going to do it. Uh, I'm going to rework my, uh, my, my, uh, my gelding transition center commercial. Uh, it's, a, it's a fake one, but uh, I want to redo it with some more music and livelier voice. Maybe I wasn't happy that day. <laughs> maybe maybe I didn't quite have the sparkle in my voice that uh, these things usually have, so I've got to fix that. Uh, and that, that's actually pretty common. A lot of times things go through revisions, additions. Uh, it's like our legislation does too. So the question is, and I'm not sure the answer, is how do we break through? Uh, for you, it's very simple. You, you just share the show with friends and family and media and your favorite talk shows and, uh, you know, and Congress and the state legislatures and local governments to share the bills that are appropriate you know, for those different levels of government and share the shows. 
and ask your friends and family and, and to share the shows. Ask the media to report on the shows. Ask the talk shows to talk about not the shows, but our bills. You know, ask media to report on the bills. Ask talk shows to talk about the bills. You talk about the bills. Call a talk show. You know, I'm hoping to get uh, talk show hosts across the country uh, to work with us as action radio hosts, as, as where they take action, where they actually work with their audience on bills that are particular to their audience, you know, that, and, and the different hosts, because every host has a specialty, you know, and so, and just work with them. And, and that's how this is going to work. But, it, you know, it, the cooperative effort of just listening to the show and, and not sharing, go, oh, that's nice. Look what Greg said today. You know, that's, that's not the point. This is the only show that really requires action. And so, but it's minimal action. You don't have to do much, you know, do, do what you normally do, share stuff. Well, if you're sharing a meme, you can share a show. It's really easy. Just put on your Facebook page, you know, go from, from my Facebook page, the, the, the show posts are all public, you know, the big thinker, big picture of the thinker on them, they're all public. So all you have to do is share those. You know, it's easy to do, you know, and share them to groups and say, Hey, guess what? You know, there's something more than just listening and complaining. <laughs> there's something more, you know, as I call it, raising and complaining to an art form, there's something more. And that's something more is here at Action Radio. All right. So we got um, half an hour, of, well, I got 25 minutes now of, of uh, discussion, news, whatever, you know, stuff I've got on the bottom of my computer here. Uh, we've got Wendy Arthur with the Oh My God Report. Uh, Bill Fecky will be back. Bill, Bill normally starts Wednesday. She's coming back in January. So taking a little break, but he will be back. Uh, and then we've got a couple things. Top of the next hour, uh, Pianchi um, is, is fond of bringing up the Convention of States. In fact, he works with a convention of states group. He told me that uh, on the show a few days ago. And I am dead against it in its present form. Uh, I should probably drink out, bring out my, um, my amendments. You know, I'll, I'll get those on the record, too. I haven't quite finished the, the constitutional amendment. Basically, I want to change the procedure by which the Constitution is amended. Right now, it is the, um, the Congress uh, can bring up an, an amendment to the Constitution. And with a two-thirds vote of each house, that vote, that uh, that amendment gets ratified by the Congress, and then it goes to the states. And if three quarters of the states ratify that amendment, and this is verbatim, there's no changes. You know, the House version has to be ratified by the Senate, or the Senate version has to be ratified by the House, and nothing can change. And then that exact amendment goes to the states. And then if three quarters of the states ratify it as well with their state legislatures and, and governor, uh, then it becomes uh, part of the Constitution. And unfortunately, some grievous amendments happened around 1913. The one that uh, transferred the Senate vote away from the states, so the states no longer had direct representation in Congress, uh, which is which is anti-republic. It's it's definitely it's, it's, it was a move against the republic and a move towards a, a more destructive democracy. Um, so that was bad. The other one was the income tax, and I forgot there was like three of them, and I forgot what the third one was. But those are the two really bad ones. The vote has to go back. The senators have to be elected or appointed by their state legislatures. Um, the uh, the income tax needs to be done away with at the federal level. And it should be state income taxes only, uh, and then the states then apportion that uh, an amount based on population of the federal government. And so the states pay the taxes, not the individuals. Individuals should never pay taxes to the federal government directly. That should that was unconstitutional. That should be again. That's part of a republic. Okay, so the federal government cannot tax directly the people. And so there's a separation, just as this is a separation of powers, there's a separation of taxation. And so that's how that's supposed to work. But if you want to help us out now. Uh, again, uh, starting a pretty uh, major fundraising raising drive. We've got uh, the Write Your Laws discount at MyPillow, at, uh, at Strikeforce Energy Drinks, uh, and at Grace Care. That's G-R-A-I-T-H, Grace Care. Um, and you can use our, our discount coupon, and that'll help us. Okay, so, so a portion comes back to Action Radio. Uh, but the most direct way is, is if you know 
you know, corporations, you know, law firms, you know, big car dealerships, I don't care. Um, but folks that want to sponsor freedom, this is the place to do it. And so we have our, our givesendgo.com website and also our PayPal. Uh, and that's more for, for folks that want to you know, run advertising on the show. And that's at paypal.com slash paypalme slash action radio. And so, uh, you know, if you, if, you, if you know, for all the people that are contributing to political campaigns, especially if you're disappointed at the money that you spent on a political campaign, then consider taking that same um, donation to them and, and contribute to Action Radio because at that point we'll be able to uh, continue on. See, we're every day. You know, politicians come and go. They want your money at election time, but Action Radio is every day. So if you want to help with giving your consent on how you choose to be governed, then I think this is a much better, uh, much better, much more effective deal. And then as more and more people join and the show grows and we get to, uh, you know, more, uh, more radio hosts join in and start to advocating, you know, citizen legislation. And I bring in some different groups, ideally uh, Turning Point USA in particular, we'll get the college students, Patriot Academy, we'll get, you know, the high school through college folks uh, and different organizations that will uh, lobby, that will effectively lobby. And you have to be a nonprofit to do it. So eh, I got to kind of figure out how that's going to work. That's why we're, we're not a nonprofit. Okay, profit's a good thing. When you make a good amount of it, okay. Anyway, but uh, that's something that uh, that's something that you should consider as well. Um, and so there we go. All right, so let's get, let's get to the stories. So there's a couple things in the news, and this one just happened last night. And it's uh, well, it, uh, the story first started in September, but I, I didn't see it then. I just found out about this last night. One American News, uh, Kara McKinney was reporting on stories um, about about the the FBI. Uh, They've created some kind of bogus document that uh, they're, you know, coercing people into signing away their, their Second Amendment rights. Okay. Well, one of the first uh, principles of rights, as everybody knows, not only are rights God-given, but no government can take them away. I mean, we talk about that all the time. So the idea that the FBI is doing this, a lot of people need to be um, arrested and thrown in jail for, for violations of Title 18, Section 241, conspiracy against rights, where two or more people, in other words, the FBI en masse, have conspired to oppress uh, the exercise of, of a constitutional right. Even says exercise and enjoyment of a constitutional right. So where's the prosecution? And this is where I, I'm, uh, I'm kind of sorry that uh, my own congressman, Matt Gates isn't on the show, because I asked him directly. So where's the prosecution? Where's the prosecution of the FBI for, for doing something that they cannot do at all, which is you know, get people to sign away their rights? You cannot sign away your rights. Even if you sign a form you know, for the FBI saying you're signing away your rights, you cannot do that. Now, you don't have to exercise them. That's perfectly fine. Nobody says you have to exercise the Second Amendment right. But the FBI, the government cannot take it away. In fact, the whole purpose of the Second Amendment, it being the supreme law of the land, is that the government can't touch it. So the idea that the FBI thinks that they can take away a right by having you sign a piece of paper, that's insane. That's irrational. They can't do it. Um, But it can be enforced. Uh, Not only can laws be made illegally, like this one, policies can be made illegal, like this one. Regulations can be illegal, like this one. And they can be enforced illegally, because guess who's got the guns? The FBI does. They get more guns than you do. All right? And there's more of them in your house. Okay? So if a bunch of gun owners showed up at the FBI agents' houses, wouldn't that be interesting? Okay? And I'm not advocating violence. But I'm just saying that if, if this is what it comes to, that maybe we should uh, you know, hold a lemonade sale <laughs> you know, outside the house of, of FBI agents. Hey, it's a, you know, Gun Owners of America or some other group, Second Amendment Foundation, or Action Radio people, uh, we uh, you know, have a protest sign saying we don't appreciate you you know, trying to take away constitutional rights. That actually would be a legal protest. You know, no violence, no violence at all, no violence, not, not like the FBI that comes storming through your door, um, which could happen to me at any time. You know, but, uh, but just saying, look, let's, let's start doing a, like a lemonade, cam- lemonade campaign for, for uh, 
um, educating the FBI that what they're doing they can't do. So let's start holding, uh, you know, lemonade sales outside. Uh, so we'll drink some lemonade. We'll talk about gun rights. We'll be, you know, invite the FBI agents to come on out. Hey, guys, come on out, men and women that uh, think you're just doing your job when you're, you're taking away constitutional rights. Can we talk? Can we talk peacefully? Can, can we have a civil conversation here of, of uh, see if we can uh, address your transgressions, the error of your ways? the unconstitutionality, the basically the war crimes that you're committing against the American people. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's really what it is, right? Anyway, so, uh, and, and then, of course, uh, what really needs, and if, if the lemonade, you know, stand uh, discussion doesn't work, uh, which it won't, <laughs> you know, because they're just following orders, right? Um, these people need to be arrested and thrown in jail for violating constitutional rights, and I don't care what their orders are. There's a higher order. It's called the Second Amendment, the Constitution, the thing they swore to uphold, okay? In fact, we've got the, the Brunson case we're going to consider more and more. Uh, we've got stuff going on with the Brunson case. They're the ones that want to uh, have all the people that refuse to investigate the, uh, the uh, illegalities of the 2020 election uh, thrown out of Congress. I think that's fascinating. And, and plus, of course, locked up the, uh, the entire Brandon coup. Now, if we had law and order, if we had a constitution, if this were a civil society, normal procedure would be to lock up those that stole the government. But because the government stole the government, uh, that's why it's not working. If any outside group stole the government, the government would step in and throw them all in jail. All right. Um, in fact, that's what they tried to. That's what they're doing with the Trump supporters. Except the Trump supporters weren't trying to weren't trying to overthrow the government. The government was trying to overthrow the government, which is a fascinating concept. That's why it's not registering with people. They don't realize the government actually overthrew the government. Okay, the government chose the government. The government put Brandon in. The American people would never put Brandon in office. What do you think? We're crazy? Of course not. There's no way we'd do that. But that's what's happening right now. And people, for somehow, it's not it's not clicking. And they're like, well, gee, what can I do? I'm just one person. Well, you can do what we all do. You know. Call Congress, try and get them on the show, call every talk show and say, hey, how come you're not telling Congress that they, uh, they need to, uh, you know, walk into jail for or how come the, the, the coup leaders aren't being arrested? Well, what's wrong with you people anyway? So uh, and this is why I say that we need to get Trump back in office, because, you know, of all the people out there, he is the one most likely to have a decent attorney general, uh, a decent FBI fire. You know, if he fired them on TV shows, he can fire them in real life. You know, fire uh, the entire FBI. I, I would abolish the FBI at this point. There's no provision for uh, a national police force in the Constitution. In fact, there's no provision for uh, armed agents of the government. The only, you know, the military can be armed, obviously. That's their job, right? But there's no provision for anybody in the federal government to be armed. It's not in the Constitution. It's not a delegated power. The states never gave the federal government permission to arm their officers, agents, or, or, or staff or anybody. It's not there. So we could, we could seize all the arms of all the bureaucrats in the FBI and, the, and the, uh, all the other agencies that have guns. You know, read the, uh, the Militarization of America by Open the Books. It's all there. You know, you've got uh, 287,000 armed agents. You've got, uh, which is about almost, what's that, 11, 12 divisions of soldiers if they were infantry? That, that's an entire army. Well, who are they going to make war against? What, are we going to ship our bureaucrats overseas? No, they're going to stay right here with their half a million to a million guns and billions of rounds of ammunition. I mean, is, uh, why would you stockpile that unless you, you, you're planning a war against the American people? And that's why they do it, right? Well, better stop them now. And we've got the tools to do it. Title 18, Section 241 and Section 242. Throw their asses in jail. All right, so I've got this article here. Let me get to, let me, before I get too riled up, which I think I already have. Cam Edwards, C-A-M-E-W, uh, E-D-W-A-R-D-S, 530 on December 8th. 
of this year. So that would be eight, I don't know, six days ago. I wrote an article for Gun Owners of America, FBI use of, quote, voluntary forms to deny gun rights more extensive than previously thought. Okay, this originally was reported in September. Uh, this is, I'm going to ask Shirley about this on Friday. Shirley's, been, Shirley's coming back after, uh, after a couple of week absence. And I've already posted in our Action Radio Gun Group, which you are free to take a look at. It is a public group, and you are free to join. Um, but uh, Action Radio Gun Group, this is where this article is. And it says, while Democrats on Capitol Hill are pushing to establish a voluntary, quote, do not sell list that will let Americans sign up to be denied their ability to legally purchase firearms. See, they can't do that either. That's so blatantly unconstitutional, I can't tell you. And this is a topic we discussed in depth, uh, uh, I guess, on Cam and Company. So I guess this guy's a, a talk show host also. Well, I'll call him up. I got some gun bills. Hey, Cam, you want gun bills? I got a bill that... Uh, you know, says that uh, guns and ammunition, you know, should qualify for tax credits, especially for low-income people and tax deductions for everybody else. Provide some incentives, make it easier for people to buy guns and ammunition. You want to talk about something pro-gun? That's pro-gun. How about a bill that allows for, for silencers and suppressors so we don't go deaf while we're defending our life? You shouldn't have to make the choice between your life and your hearing. You should be able to keep both. So why can't we have, uh, you know, suppressors on our guns so that we don't go deaf, you know, when uh, home invasion happens at 3 in the morning? Good question, huh? All right, anyway, it says Republicans in Congress are demanding answers from the Federal Bureau of Investigation about a secret program that led to at least two dozen individuals, and potentially many more, waiving the right to keep and bear arms for unknown reasons. Well, like I say, you, legally, they cannot do that. You cannot sign away constitutional rights because you didn't, you didn't give them to yourself. You know, God did. Right? You're born with them. You can't sign away birthrights. Again, you don't have to exercise them, but you always have them. Everybody in this country has the right of free speech, whether you speak freely or not. Everyone in this country has the right to a gun, whether you use it or not. Okay? Now, can it be temporarily suspended with due process because you're in jail? Yes. <laughs> yeah. but, can you, but can the government keep you from owning guns when you're out of jail? No. All those laws are bogus. Well, what about violent crimes, Greg? Do we want someone committing a violent crime again? No. But that's what parole is all about. Don't parole them. Keep them in jail. You know? uh, and, and, that, and part of being in a free society is that when you get out of jail, you get your rights back. Well, I don't want violent criminals having guns. Well, then carry one yourself. It's your duty. It's your duty to be, and this is why we have a Second Amendment. So the government cannot prevent you from defending yourself against the criminals that they're not prosecuting properly. That's why we have a Second Amendment. Trust me, criminals, the one thing that stops criminals from being criminals is good people having guns. That's a proven fact. Look at John Lott. I mean, he's been talking about this for decades. All right. Back to the article. The first evidence of the FBI's program came in September when the Daily Caller first reported on the existence of forms used by the agency. But did Congress pass this law? No. Could Congress pass this law? No. You know, this is where the Supreme Court should actually do what they're supposed to do, which is protect our constitutional rights rather than just make up legislation on their own, which is what the leftists on the court want to do, which is why no leftist can legitimately serve on the Supreme Court. Because so fundamentally, they, they can't take an oath to support and defend the Constitution because they don't believe in it. So, so leftists can't be on the court. I mean, they just can't. They should all be removed for bad behavior. Look at their opinions. All right. I digress. Back to the article. Fifteen different forms were revealed that in the initial report. But thanks to a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit filed by Gun Owners of America, the group was able to obtain forms signed by eight other individuals, raising even more questions about how and why the agency adopted this secretive and possibly illegal scheme. What do you mean possibly? Any scheme that the government has to deny people rights, you know, whether it's, quote, voluntary or not, is illegal. The only rights that I know you can sign away are parental rights because that governs somebody else. Okay, you can sign, and those are, you know, and the question is, are those rights? Are, are there parental rights? 
because all rights are individual? It's a good question. I'm not sure. Maybe we'll tackle that one one day. Um, but the question is, in, all rights are individual. So gun rights are individual. All right. So do parents have rights against the state? Yeah, I would say so. Um, but that's a different topic. But uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to discuss that. Hmm. Is marriage a right? No, because <laughs> it has to be exercised individually. It's a contract. Parental rights, different thing. So fathers have rights to their kids. Mothers have rights to their kids. Uh, do they have rights jointly? Don't know. That would be the question. Anyway, back to the article. Uh, it says Americans can't simply sign their constitutional rights away, even to the FBI. And that's Representative Michael Cloud, Republican of Texas, who signed the October letter, told the Washington Examiner, as Republicans enter a House majority, we must use our investigative power to put a check on federal agencies who have proven to be eager and willing to crack down on Americans' right to keep and bear arms. And how exactly are you going to do that, right, Representative Michael Cloud, Republican of Texas? How exactly are you going to do that? The best way is to throw their asses in jail under Title 18, Section 241 and 242, which is the police power, the color of law clause, which says the same thing, which says if the police or the FBI act under color of law, in other words, legal authority, uh, under, under law enforcement authority, be it the local, uh, state, or federal, um, to deny you your constitutional rights, which is what they're doing in this case, they go to jail and they're fined. That's the solution. You don't just investigate it. That's just the first step. Once you investigate it, you've got you to prosecute. That's what the Justice Department is for, except the Justice Department is where the FBI is, is doing this. Okay? So this is, this is why uh, um, I would like to see the Attorney General be an elected position, quite frankly. Uh, in fact, it'd be, it'd be the best Attorney General would be the one from the opposite party. You know, so there should be a Republican attorney general now. Now, I, don't want, I wouldn't put that into law, but uh, attorney general, so the federal attorney general should be elected because too often presidents use attorney generals as their own personal lawyer. And that's wrong. And that goes, and both parties have done that. Right now, it just happens to be the Democrats are doing the egregious uh, thing, you know, by, by trying to deny right. right. Anyway, it says, though the form is back to the article, though the forms, oh, through the forms, excuse me, the FBI asked signatories to identify as a danger to themselves or others or lacking the mental capacity adequately to contract or manage their lives. The forms were presented by the FBI to people at homes, well, that's interesting, and in other undisclosed locations beginning in at least 2016. Oh, okay, so Trump, where was Trump? Where was was Jeff Sessions, you know, Trump's attorney general? Where was anybody uh, in the Trump Justice Department while this was going on? That makes no sense. All right. Anyway, so 2016 and until December 2019, when the FBI claims it was discontinued. Well, did they abolish all the forms and get rid of them? <laughs> Probably not. It says, while two of the new, uh, it says, while two of the new eight forms have redacted dates for when they were signed. Oh, that's interesting. The other six are dated between March 2018 and April 2019. Oh, right before COVID. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? I just, I'm just calling it as I see it. Interesting coincidence. It's the Second Amendment attorneys. Uh, as well as the GOA, the Gun Owners of America, said the evidence of the forms which register signatories into the FBI's National Instant Criminal Background Check system leaves unanswered questions. Well, what if they're, that's the NICS check. In other words, that's your background check to, to buy a gun. Well, what if the FBI is secretly, anytime somebody does a background check, counting that as giving up their gun rights? You don't know. And they say, well, nobody, and, and then your background checks come back uh, as, uh, as failed. Well, why did he fail? Well, because you voluntarily signed a form, you know, to give up your gun rights. So you can't buy a gun anymore. Well, I never signed that form. Well, no, you did right here when you went for a background check. I mean, that's how they could do it. You don't know. 
article says this includes the question of whether the form is legal in the first place. No, it's not, <laughs> given that it did not move through the process mandated under federal law for government agencies to receive approval from the Office of Management and Budget before obtaining information from the public. Now, that's not true. <laughs> okay? the, the, you can't sign your, your rights away. That's the whole point of, of having individual rights that are given, granted by God and government and can't be touched by government. Government cannot take you to – even if you agree, you can, you, can, you can sign a form that says, I sign away my rights. It's, it's not valid. It's not a valid form. It's not a valid contract. You can't make that contract. Again, all you have to do is not exercise your rights, but you always have them. There's a wall of separation, the separation between rights and state. <laughs> okay? It's not church and state. It's rights and state. There is a separation between rights and state. Rights are, are you know, from God to you when you're born, and the government can't touch them. There's a wall of separation. Only through due process, can they lim- due process can they limit them temporarily, you know, while you're in jail. But you still, but once you're out, you still have them. <sighs> how many times do I have to make that point? <laughs> anyway, it says also remains unclear how the FBI's usage of the Nix form aligns with the Gun Control Act of 1968, something that also is unconstitutional, by the way. So, Mister, let's go back up to my my member of Congress here, Representative Michael Cloud, Republican of, Republican of Texas wants to investigate this abuse of power, why don't you just abolish the 1968 Gun Control Act? It's based on Nazi law anyway. Oh, yeah, I said it. Didn't you guys hear that? Jews for the Preservation of Firearms Ownership. Uh, Aaron Zellman did a big documentary. Uh, In fact, I got the video. You can look it up yourself, right? Aaron Zellman in several speeches, uh, and one that I know of because I've got it on video. Uh, I think it's at our Extra Radio Gun Group. I can post it again. said very very clearly that uh, Senator Christopher Dodd's dad the, the, the Senator Dodd Sr., you know, took the, the, the Nazi gun registration law from the 1930s and it, it translated, had it translated, and it became pretty much our 1968 gun control law. So, so gun control laws come from Nazi Germany. Is that your model? And that's somehow constitutional? Where's the Supreme Court? How come the Supreme Court didn't overturn the 1968 Gun Control Act from Nazi Germany as an unconstitutional violation of the Second Amendment, which it clearly is? See, the Supreme Court's useless. So you want the Supreme Court to interpret the law and they can't even follow it? Oh, please. And then people say, well, you're not a judge. What do you know? Well, I mean, I can read. <laughs> yeah, that's what I know. And I know that I can read very clearly that the Supreme Court is not upholding their, their oath to support and defend the Constitution when they've allowed the 1968 Gun Control Act to exist since 1968. That makes no sense. So we need a new Supreme Court. Well, I, I keep two of them. I keep Clarence Thomas and I keep, I keep Sam Alito. As for the rest of them, the ones that refused to take the Texas election fraud case from 2020? No, they all need to go. Of course, the liberals, like I say, liberals are, are, are categorically unqualified to serve on the Supreme Court. They're just not because they don't have the, uh, uh, they don't have the view of the Constitution that, would, uh, that is required in order to serve on the Supreme Court. It's pretty simple. If you don't believe me, read their opinions. All right. Anyway, so it says it also remains unclear how the FBI's usage of the mixed form aligns with. Okay, I read that. Uh, Gun Control Act of 1968, which outlines how someone may be barred from owning guns if he or she is, quote, adjudicated as a mental defective or has been committed to a mental institution. So you can't serve in the obviously you can't own your guns in a mental institution. But what about when you're out? So there's a whole thing, too. There's a whole uh, freedom. You know, how many people are committed, you know, back in the old days? You know, uh, I think husbands would, would commit their wives to mental institution rather than divorce them because it was cheaper. <laughs> you know, some pretty horrible things have been done in mental institutions. OK, it says, it says, but the act does not say people can rule themselves unfit to own firearms. Well, it doesn't matter if the act said it or not. It's still unconstitutional. 
Here's John Harris, a lawyer who directs the Tennessee Firearms Association, told the Washington Examiner the act is clear, and it says adjudicated. I'm not sure what that means. Anyway, we've got Wendy in a couple of minutes here. So this is also the issue of just how many voluntary, just how voluntary these signatures were or the circumstances under which they were collected. So far, the FBI hasn't said much. And Democrats on the House Judiciary Committee rejected a resolution offered by Representative Andrew Clyde on Wednesday that would have directed the agency to provide details about its secret rules to strip individuals of their Second Amendment rights while approving the measure that would allow individuals to declare themselves prohibited persons. Okay, well, I got a better idea. Andrew Clyde, why don't you just delete the FBI budget? See, this is the big thing. Let me just get one more quote here. It says, this bill demonstrates the glaring problem with the FBI previously obtaining signatures on its forms since lawmakers are essentially recognizing there needs to be congressional approval to engage in what the FBI already did, according to Aidan Johnson, director of the Federal Affairs at the Gun Owners of America. Aidan Johnson, you've got to be more blunt than that, dude. Okay, you gotta you got to tell it like it is. The FBI has no business doing this, and they need to be prosecuted for a conspiracy to violate constitutional rights under Title 18, Section 241. You notice that doesn't come up in this article at all. Nowhere does it say it. And that's the problem. That is the problem with this whole thing. i got other articles here. i got other stuff going on. Uh, let me uh, place it real quick here before Wendy gets here, and uh, I'll be right back. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grave Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gravecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gravecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Here we go. Do you really want the truth? Do you have questions you can't ask in church? Welcome to the Oh My God Report. 
Wendy Arthur is more concerned with truth than propaganda, putting more value in scripture than religion, and more about you and your relationship with God than your membership in any church. This is Christianity with a Kick. Wow, the sky's cleared up and Wendy's here. Wendy, how'd you do that? The rain stopped. I'm amazed at you. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't realize I had a superpower. <laughs> well, apparently you do. It's, it's, it's you know, because normally, like I say, we get to, well, it's no thunderstorms. It's, it's just raining. Um, but uh, and there are times when the show has been kicked off the air because uh, we're susceptible to power failures here uh, because of the weather. Right. So, yeah, I just, you know, hey, nice job. Thanks, God. Appreciate the help. Back to you. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So how are you doing? What's going on? What's What's been on your mind? Oh, well, you know, we had a, a little uh, joking thing about angels this week um, on Facebook. Oh, yes, but, we did. Yeah, actually, there, there has been um, a lot of prophecies, actually, lately about angels. Mm-hmm. This is a new season, and angels are being sent to help um, get things done in this season. And um, I'm not sure how long the season is, is going to uh, last, but you know what? I, I'm all for getting some help. So <laughs> I yeah, me too. We talk about some angels. Uh, yeah, we we got to break through some and, uh, some major censorship, and we have to break through some other things too. So uh, we we have algorithm hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, well, you know what is interesting too. This is like a and also this is sort of more off topic, but uh, in other words, how do we break through? Uh, I want to talk about you know belief and faith and things like that. That uh, in order to uh, see what Action Radio does, we need people that believe you know in the concept of, of citizen legislation and believe that this will work as I do. Uh, I'm, you know more than that, I know it's going to work. Um, but uh, there's like a there's like a missing belief, and I'm just wondering if uh, like the lower belief in God throughout the population uh, is just a lower belief in everything. And that's something we might want to talk about sometime too. But yes. yeah, um, back to our angels. Because yeah, yeah, go ahead. It, it's, it's that's a wonderful topic that we need to probably tackle. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I do that a lot. I, what I want to clear up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, what I, I'd like to clear up though um, is uh-huh. angels are not to be worshipped. And I, I see a lot of angel worship. You know, angel pictures and paintings where you know it's, it's like the angel is is the savior and coming in. No. Um, angels are not to be worshipped, an and if you ever come face-to-face with an angel, they will tell you, do not worship me. I'm a messenger or I'm a warrior. There's different types of angels, and, and that's what I wanted to kind of cover too today. They have uh-huh. specific functions, um, and and so I want to kind of – there's I have written down eight um, and, and given one scripture, you know, to, to back up what I'm saying um, per, per thing – but mm-hmm. there's there's a lot more than that. But I I've, I've like the top eight I've kind of covered. Um, so and so I'll just go ahead and give you those eight right now. There are messenger angels, warrior mm-hmm. angels, death angels, destroying angels, helping angels, angels that minister to God. That's their sole purpose. Guardian mm-hmm. angels and harvesting angels. And like I said, this is just eight of the many. Yes, I think categories. archangels came to mind. I'm not sure where they would fit in. Yes, um, archangels um, can. We know there's at least two, and there's probably four. But um, uh, everybody is, you know, when you think of an archangel, you think of Michael and Gabriel, okay. and they were two different types of angels. And Gabriel was a messenger angel. 
um, like of, of the highest order messengers, you know, messages, not just, you know, hey, tie your shoes. Um, this is like anything that, that is like seriously going to impact uh, history or, you know, God's plan, he will send uh, Gabriel. Um, and then Michael is the head of all the warrior angels. And, you know, this people, they are not little cherubs like you see in paintings. You know, they don't, they're not little cupids that go around, you know, shooting arrows and making people fall in love. That, that's myth. Um, angels are um, intimidating, to say the least. They, they carry the power and authority of God himself um, to carry out whatever assignment they've been given, and they don't stop until that assignment is carried out, period, end of story. Um, they are extremely focused. Um, and they don't um, warrior angels. You're not going to see them with a sense of humor. <laughs> they don't play. They're there to carry out a message to, to you know, we're standing in the way of God's plan. Um, and hmm. they fight in the demonic realm. So, um, and things that we don't see, they are constantly taken care of because nothing happens here on earth unless it's taken care of in the heavenlies first. And so just to hmm. give people like a little bit of background um, about that, um, let's, let's tackle um, the scripture for messenger angels. And there's, there's lots of lots of scriptures for this, um, but I'm just going to give one. Um, like in Daniel, um, after he had seen him, and they were told they, they, you will be in captivity for 400 years because you went into idolatry instead of worshiping me, the one true God. And so they were enslaved in slavery to, in Egypt. And Daniel was saying, you know what, it's, it's been 400 years. So he started praying, um, saying, God, you know, you said 400 years. It's, it's now been 400 years. You know, where where's our deliverer? Where Where, where is the end of our captivity? And so he started praying about that, and, you know, he prayed and prayed and prayed, and there was no answer, no answer, no answer. So this, so he finally got word from Gabriel, the messenger angel. And I'll, this is in Daniel chapter 10, verses 10, 12, and 14, just so you can look it up yourself. If somebody is not, you know, don't ever just take my word for it and look it up yourself. And the scripture says, then he said, he's talking about Gabriel. Don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. So... Gabriel's not a warrior angel. He's a messenger angel. So when he had to pass through the, because the, there are spiritual realms above us. You know, there's, there's heaven below that, the second heaven, which is where all the demonic realm, you know, and the you know, angels battle, and then our realm. So in order for something to come from heaven, and it answers to prayers or whatever, it has to come through the demonic realm down to earth where all the battles are taking place. So Gabriel was saying, look, I was coming from the very first day to, give, to bring you an answer to your prayer, but I got held up by the army of the prince of Persia you know, in, in the spirit realm because he's not a warrior angel. He fought for 21 days and couldn't get loose, so he called Michael the archangel, the warrior angel, and he came in and started kicking butt in the spiritual realm so that Gabriel could come with the answer to Daniel's prayer. Hmm. So there's a lot going on in the heavenlies, people, that we don't even understand. Um, but it's going on. 
Um, so, and warrior angels that I just mentioned, you know, Michael was the warrior angel who came in with his army and started, you know, taking care of business in over the Prince of Persia. So, um, and he, he does a lot of warring um, for the kingdom. Um, so just those two were just covered in that one verse. Death angels. Wait a minute, um, before we move on, um, when you talk about the Prince of Persia, okay. we're not talking about a, an earthly prince. We're talking about a, a prince in heaven. Yeah, just like we have a government set up here on earth, you know, right. there's the, the prince of that or the king of that or the president of this or, you know, prime minister of that. It's, the, it's set up the same way in the spirit realm, hmm. um, only there okay. are, are kings and princes um, and governors. Um, and, so, and they have the same hierarchy in the demonic realm as we have here. Because like I said, everything here on earth is, is just a shadow of how it's set up in the heavenlies. Hmm. So this, this was not, none of this is our idea, okay? <laughs> this was already established in the heavenlies, and it just got mirrored here on earth. Um, wow. So, Who, who's my action radio angel? <laughs> well, I'm just thinking, yeah. you know, where, where did this come from? Because, we're, we're, you know, when we talk about a, a fundamental uh, change, you know, in, in philosophy, we're basically reversing, you know, every government that's ever been, which gives laws to the people. And, then, and we're, we're trying to have people give laws to the government. So this is how we, you know, determine to be consent. That's, that's a, that, that is an entire earthly philosophical change. Of, of staggering proportions that I didn't even think about when I started and this. The reason, mm-hmm. And the reason that you, you come, you're getting such opposition right now, mm-hmm. um, Scripture says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air, okay? The, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, all the, the airwaves and, and all the frequencies that go out. Um, he's, he kind of rules the airwaves right now. Hmm. So um, we have authority to take that back from him, but you're not going to get it without a fight. So you, no kidding. we need to learn how to fight in the spirit realm, right? Because that's where the battles are really going on. So if okay. you want, because you're on radio, you're on satellite radio, you, that, that's, it, it's using the airwaves and the frequencies in the heavenlies. So mm-hmm. you have a particular battle, a very specific battle to fight. So that would be a whole other topic. But anyway. Um, so, no, that's okay. I mean, um, each report usually generates about three other reports. That's, that's kind of the standard around least. here. Yes. <laughs> yeah. How am I never going to run a, you know, when people say, well, what am I going to talk about? I say, trust me, don't worry. You're going to get plenty to talk about. It's not going to be an issue. Yeah. True. Um, <laughs> category that we were talking about is death angels. Um, so I'll just read one, and there's many verses about that as well. Um, mm-hmm. Job 33:22 says, they are at death's door. The angels of death wait for them. Um, there are a category of angels that are death angels, and um, you will see that also in the story of Passover, um, you know, where um, God told the people, his believers, his, his followers, make sure I'm sending the death angel over um, the camp. And whoever does not have the blood of the lamb over the doorposts um, to signify that I am a believer, you know, the death angel is going to come and take the firstborn of family and animals. Mm-hmm. And um, this, this is when Pharaoh was keeping everybody captive and all that kind of stuff. And he wanted, it was one of the things that God did to make sure that his people got set free because he was, you know, warned and warned and warned, 10 plagues, all that kind of stuff. He still wouldn't let the people go. So finally, God just said, all right, that's it. 
you know, now you have defied me um, through the other ten plagues. Now here we go. I'm going to send the death angel. And um, and sure enough, that got him to change his mind. Oh, he's serious. <laughs> yeah. So there are angels who are assigned, um, and the they're like special ops. You know, like you know, if you wait, if nothing else is going to work, you send in the special ops team. Okay, so that's what they're for. Um, yeah, it, it sounds not that, to make light of it, uh, but it's not, remember Harry Potter, the, the Dementors or whatever those things were that you couldn't stop, you know, or like the Terminator, <laughs> just to, to do more colloquial examples. But uh, this is this is quite fascinating. This is the whole world, you know, yes. opening up. It's like, oh, all right, yeah. Yep. It, it, to me, the spirit realm is much more real than than the world I live in down here. Um, and because God has made me aware time. of these things. Yeah, this is such a bizarre yeah, a time we're living time. in. Uh, it's, it's like all the things that you heard about in history that you never thought would happen. Of course, I, I learned very early in life that if it can happen, it can happen to me. Uh, that, that's my experience. So, <laughs> so, so things that, that say, oh, I can't believe this is happening now. I said, I can believe it. <laughs> Trust me, it happened before. And you know, sure the Germans felt the same way and the Chinese felt the same way and everybody who's ever been oppressed has felt exactly the same way. How did this happen? I didn't think this could happen here. Well, that was your first mistake. <laughs> Anything that can happen can happen yeah. again. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Hmm. Well, back to, so the yeah. next back category to... of angels uh-huh. are destroying angels. Um, and they work in tandem um, sometimes with the death angels, but um, not necessarily. Um, they're not the same because um, – you can destroy something to get somebody's attention um, before you have to kill somebody because they absolutely would not listen. Mm-hmm. So I hope that makes sense. Um, yeah. So uh, that reference for destroying angels is in Psalm seventy-eight forty-nine, And again, there's many verses, but I'm just taking one for to save for time because if we're already 15 minutes in. <laughs> so, mm, um, no. I'm trying it, to keep quiet. It says, but it's not working. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Psalm, Psalm 78, 49 says, he loosed on them his fierce anger. All his fury, rage, and hostility, he dispatched against them a band of destroying angels. So um, if you want to see, like, total cities destroyed and, you know, like that kind of thing, um, that's what, um, you know, what would happen. Not necessarily life, although it could include life, but um, he could destroy crops. He could destroy, you know, whatever. He, he wants to get their attention and saying, look, I've told you that you're doing wrong and um, you keep hurting my people. You keep keeping them in bondage and it's, I'm done, you know, because hmm. um, God says, come and let us reason together. And if you're not going to reason with them and, you know, at least hear what he's got to say, he's going to try to get your attention one way or another. He'll try it in a good way first. And then if you don't listen, he'll try it in a bad way. And if you still don't listen, then, you know, that's all on you. Um, The other one, um, the next band or the next um, category of angels we have are helping angels. And um, it's really interesting to me because there is a lot of, there's a lot of things that angels do to help us that we don't even realize. And um, I have stories in my own life, I could tell you, when angels intervened and, and things like that. Mike's got stories. And, and mm-hmm. if you were ever 
almost in an accident and the last minute you don't know how you got out of it, you know, trust me, an angel was involved in that. So, you know, oh, I've got a multitude of, of stories of, of almost and, and should have, uh, you know, by all rights uh, of, of just, you know, the odds I shouldn't be here right now. You know, just too many crazy yeah. things have happened and too many angels have interviewed and thank God for the, for the intervention. I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, my yes. life would be very different without the angels watching out for all the crazy things that have <laughs> happened to me and the crazy things I get into myself. You know, try being a flight instructor. Yeah. You want to see how, life can, how exciting life can get? Try, <laughs> try sitting in a small airplane with somebody trying to kill you, uh, not intentionally. They're just trying to learn how to fly. But, you know, you want to test your patience. You want to test your courage. Be a flight instructor. <laughs> you know, yeah. do you think driving instructors have it rough? <laughs> try three dimensions, okay? And you got to sit there and watch. And, and you know, like, you know, and, and the standard I, I had was uh, I need to take the airplane back just before too late, okay? Because too late's too late. But you, you want to let the student, right. you want to give them every opportunity to, to correct the airplane so that you don't flip over and do other things like that. So, my, and just before too late is a really fine line, <laughs> trust me. But uh, yeah, that'll, that, that'll, that'll test your courage and patience. And uh, I'm sure we had a few angels going, you know, because I'll tell you one quick episode here. I mean, we, we always pick up the angels next time. Uh, maybe after, after we got to do a Christmas show next week. But I was flying uh, with a student. And they did something to the engine. I don't explain all the technical details, but they, they, they caused an engine failure. And so we're, you know, 8,000 feet above a, a, an 8,000 foot runway, you know, from an old World War II base. So we weren't in any danger. But, you know, I'm gliding down and the engines, you know, I'm trying to get it started again. I'm looking at my student. I said, don't do that again. <laughs> <He's> like, okay. <laughs> you know, but, uh, um, but uh, you know, we, we did the right things, pulled the right levers, and the engine came back on again at about 3,000 feet. We started at about, you know, six. And so uh, it's like, Okay. So I didn't have to report it. You know, the engine came back up. We go. And then, of course, I reported it the flying school. And, well, and the student, I said, you know, and anyway. But the point was, that I, I'm sure there was an angel that got my engine going again. You know, yes, the laws of physics apply too. But, yeah, you know, this, uh, this is a yeah. lot of things like that. Yeah. So, okay. Thanks for, thanks yeah. for the restart. Appreciate it. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know. And, and, and that's the cool thing about angels is, is they, they are not bound by any earthly law, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, even you know the universe, you know, has to work this way. Oh yeah, watch this. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, so one example of the helping angels um, would be in Genesis 19:16 when Sodom and Gomorrah was being destroyed, and Lot and his family were there, and they mm-hmm. were the only righteous family in Sodom and Gomorrah, and they were instructed um, when the destruction starts. You know, um, you and your family head to the mountain and you don't look back. Literally, do not look back. Run. And when it started, it says, in, uh, when Lot still hesitated, the angel seized his hand and the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed them to safety outside the city, for the Lord was merciful. You know, they were so afraid, they just couldn't go. They couldn't move. So mm-hmm. the angel grab them by the hand and say, look, get out. You know, we got a job yeah. to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, and a lot of people don't have the experience of being so afraid that you literally can't move, but you know, it, it happens. No, if I'm um, that afraid, I move very fast, actually. If I'm ever, you know, the, the, the couple of times, you know, I've been terrified. I, I can move really well. <laughs> it's not a problem. You know, so that's, <laughs> I'm, I'm just the opposite. Yeah, let's like go. Got to do something. A lot of people, but I'm, I'm, yeah. yeah, a lot of people are like that, but, but there are some people who just freeze. I mean, their body literally just locks up. So wow. kind of like a Tennessee yeah, I, fainting goat, but anyway. <laughs> a Tennessee what? Um, fainting goat. Have you ever What's seen that? Tennessee fainting goat? 
No. Oh, it's the most hysterical thing you've ever seen. I will post a little clip of a Genesis okay. spinning goat. If if you startle them, they literally freeze and fall over. Wow. <laughs> then they get back <laughs> That's <up>. hysterical. <laughs> That's funny. It is hysterical. Yeah. Um, so the okay. I've never heard of that. Of angels are are angels that minister to God. Right. Um, and um, Psalm 103, and there's a lot of references to that. Um, but I'll just pick one, and that's Psalm 103, 20 and 21. It says, praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands. Yes, praise the Lord, you armies of angels who will serve him and do his will. Um, there are, are angels in heaven that that's all they do is they they sing worship to the Lord. Um, and, you know, the seraphim and the um, are up there and they're and the other creatures. I'm not even going to call them angels, although they are the, a, a type of angel, but there are different creatures up there um, who uh, literally you know, hover and fly around the Lord and, and they just, they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And it's because they are constantly looking at him um, and they will announce what they see and, and, and they're looking for anything in God. Um, that will uh, present itself because they they're announcing angels. They will announce what they see, and all they see in God is is holiness, is is His incredible holiness, and so that's all they can say is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Um, and the, the spiritual realm is very, very interesting, y'all. You, you really ought to study that. Not in the occult part, because that that'll take you down a really bad rabbit hole. So stay stay in the scriptures, Um, and and don't add to the scriptures. You know, don't don't make up stories. You know, it's interesting enough as it is by itself. Um, (laughs) Yeah. After um, the category of the angels that minister to God are guardian angels, and thank God we all have them. Uh, Oh yeah. (laughs) Well, see, that seems to be the one that most people know about. We've all heard about our guardian angels, and well, uh, Pierre is on the line. I'll get to him in a second, but we should tell the story of how, we, how our, our angel chat went on Facebook too, because that's kind of funny. But tell about yeah. the guardians. <laughs> <laughs> well, the guardian angels. Um, everyone is assigned at least one angel, you know, um, before they're even born, and because we are we are spirit in heaven before we are created in in a human body down here, um, and so we are well known in heaven, um, even before our physical, you know, um, bodies are, 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 have a life down here. We are known mm-hmm. in heaven in the spirit. Um, and anyway, that, that'll get me off into a whole another, well, that's a whole another show. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, Psalm 111 <laughs> says, or he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. And that you need to, um, in this season, the prophets are saying, you know, learn how to um, work in tandem with your angels to get things done that God has assigned for you to do. And if you don't know what your assignment is, you need to ask the Lord so he can reveal that to you and so you can partner with your angel to get this done, okay? Because you can't move on to your next assignment until this first one's done. And I mean, that's just how it works. So, you know, um, see, that would be the question I would have that, is, is how to, to partner with, with my angels because I know what I'm supposed to do. I mean, I'm doing it. Uh, but the question right. is how can I be more effective and, and do it and how can I, you know, bring in the spirit world to, to help out because I need a little help right now. There's some, some issues and things going yes. on. And, and, yeah. and that's the thing because angels will bring you mm-hmm. strategies. They'll give you wisdom 
um, and strategies that you did not know before. Um, okay. And all of a sudden, you'll just have clarity of, of how things are supposed to work. Um, yeah, why didn't I think of that earlier? Kind of thing, right? when, when you say, gee, why yeah, didn't I think of that like, earlier? Wow. Yeah. I've had those. I, I, so, yeah, I, yeah, I've had a, so I need another one. Yeah, today would be a good day, angels. Okay, well, then yeah. you know what? Make that a matter of prayer. Just say, look, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lord, I, I, this, is, this is specifically what my request is, you know, because God ain't kidding. He says, you come boldly before my throne, you know, with thanksgiving and praise and, and make your petitions known before me. So yeah. um, he, he doesn't want, you know, God does not like timidity, you know, by the way. I mean, he really, really has a problem with, with timidity. You know, hmm. If you're going to do something, be bold about it. So, because he is a lion, he 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 appreciates boldness. Okay. Uh, okay so, the last uh, thing we're going to cover today is harvesting angels. And Lord, Lord, there are plenty of verses on that. Um, but just one example, I will give you from Matthew twenty four thirty one says, and he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of the trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones <clears throat> from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Um, <clears throat> when they're gathering in, this is referencing the, the rapture, um, that when the angels are sent, the people get the second coming of Christ and the rapture confused. They are not the same event. Jesus huh. does not come to get the people for the rapture. The angels come. Jesus will be in the clouds, but the angels come and gather those who belong to God. Don't don't get that confused, people. I mean, those are two totally separate events. When Jesus comes, he comes and he's standing on the Mount of Olives, and, and ain't nobody going to miss that. I mean, the whole world's going to know. So, but the, the rapture angels are going to come. They'll be unseen angels, so people just they will come and gather, and people will be gone. But nobody's going to see why. There, people are just going to be gone. Okay, but those were the angels' work. That is not the same thing as the second coming of Jesus. So. Um, just throwing that out there. Okay. So um, well, I, I will um, uh, go ahead and post the Tennessee fainting goat on my uh, on, the, on my God page uh, <laughs> on on Facebook because it's just hysterical. That is hysterical. We should uh, just before Pianki uh, asks a question. Um, the, the way this got started, you had a post of a, of an angel with his, his face buried in his hands, and I forgot what the caption was. <laughs> Do you remember what your caption was? And, I remember mine. What'd you say? Uh, oh, I said. Oh, it, it, yeah, the angel was burying its face in its arms, laying over a, a stone. I said, poor thing, just got the news. <laughs> He's got to sign to be my guardian angel. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, mine are in such hysterics, they're effectively useless. And that's how this all got started. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, I'm glad you explained it. They're too. never useless. <laughs> well, that's, what, that's why I'm glad we did the show. Pianki, uh, question or comment for Wendy? Good morning. Good morning. No, good morning. Good morning, Wendy. Nice to hear you up and going at it real strong. Well, thank you. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing fine. Good. You got a question? No, I don't have any questions. I listen I to the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, a little bit... We actually have a little extra time if you want to run over, but if you have to go, that's that's cool too. Um, but making, being more effective with our angels, being bolder with our angels, calling them in, uh, in terms of some things that I need to do. I'm not going to go into specifics, but uh, uh, it, I don't think, you know, that's not really talked about a lot. 
the connections we do have to our angels. I mean, people joke about it. You see it in uh, uh, the, the the film Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed. You know, it's a wonderful life. You know, all that kind of thing. I mean, Hollywood talks about angels all the time. But let's get the real view. That's uh, so. How do we work? closer with our angels how do we find who they are how can we do we talk to them directly what's what's the what's the best way that we can all work together combining the spiritual and physical world that's a good question that's a whole nother show but i will tell you um preview then give me the preview um angels get their commands from the lord from God. And, you know, I know there's a lot of teachings out there about how you command your angels to do this, command your angels to do that. Well, um, you can um, give your angels assignments, but they're not going to take assignments from you unless you, unless you have the authority to do that mm-hmm. and, you, and the understanding to do that, because angels will only respond to scripture, period, end of story. Mm-hmm. If you can't find what, what you want to have done in the scriptures, as um, they, they will not do it. So you're just talking into the air. Um, so that's why it's important to ask God what your assignment is. Once you understand your assignment, and you already know your assignment, um, mm-hmm. then you need to, to say, I need strategies. I need you to send angels, my angels, because um, there are people who have legions of angels assigned to them, mm-hmm. um, depending on, on what their assignment is, right? Um, so... Um, and, and a legion has 12,000 angels per legion. Yeah, I just said the number 12 comes to mind. I thought I had 12 angels. I don't know where I got that from. It's just been a, been a gut feeling for a long time. But it could be 1,200 or 12,000. It could be. So yeah. it could be more. Huh. It could be 12 million. But it's 12 yeah, depending something. Depending on, on, on what yeah. needs to get done. Because 12, 12 is a very important number. It's a governmental number. It's, it's a right. foundational governmental number. Um, and it represents juries. the government of God. So yeah, juries um, are twelve. Yes, you know judgment. You know the right. government of God. So mm-hmm. um, you need um, anyway. So you ask God, you know, what your assignment is. If you don't know, once you do know, say mm-hmm. I need you to to send my angels because I need wisdom. I need strategies. I need clarity. Um, you know, and because there are ministering angels that they are sent to minister to you. So mm-hmm. find you know, the scripture, you know, because God wants you to have wisdom. You know, look up James. You know, if any of you lack lacks wisdom, ask God. You know, and He will give it to you and uh, out upbraiding you for it. There, there's you will never get a rebuke for asking for wisdom. God wants you to have wisdom. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. You know, you know, so find the scripture that you can. Um, use for your angels to use, you know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. they will only respond to scripture, hmm. a scriptural command. So um, you asking for wisdom for what you need to do is scriptural. So say, according to James 1, okay, um, mm-hmm. I need wisdom. Please send my angel with some strategies and and whatever else that, that you are, you know, and I need warrior angels to go take care of the people who are, are doing censorship right now. They are hindering the, your assignment for me. You know, I'm trying to carry out my assignment. I need warrior angels to go fight in the heavenlies for me and you know, hmm. to you know, remove that, that hindrance. So there's all kinds of stuff going on. So 
it, and the more you go into it, the deeper it gets. But you, you've got to be, you know, put on your, your armor you know, of God, like it says in Ephesians, you know, and go the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sword, which is the word, you know, um, the Bible. So there's, and you, you've got to have all these things in place if you're going to do some serious warfare. Because mm-hmm. Christianity is not for wimps. It's not for somebody looking for the easy way out because all of a sudden you're going to be one of those who will fall away when the heat gets turned up, if you yeah. are. When, if you understand that you're coming into um, – you have a God-given assignment and it's going to be war to get it done and you mm-hmm. have a warrior mindset, you will succeed. Understand well, I've definitely got the warrior mindset. That's that's never been an issue. But the the question is, you know, this this whole deeper involvement uh, with God involved in the show and me, uh, that's that's fairly new, and so it just hasn't uh, right. come up in my life before, uh, and that's that's why you're right. here, <laughs> you know. So, uh, so this, this is fascinating. <laughs> uh, is there a warrior scripture thing? now? When you when you call upon an angel, do you need to quote the scripture? I mean, obviously they know it, um, but do I have to know it too? Yes. If you don't know it, they'll know you don't know it, and they won't do a thing. Oh. So where do I, where, where do I find my warrior angels in Scripture? I'm going to have to listen to the show again. <laughs> listen to our podcast. <laughs> you know. Take notes. Okay, so here's, 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 my, here's my guardian guidebook, you know, for, uh, you know, okay. Well, and, and, and understand that God just doesn't – it's not just a, the, the printed word. You know, he wants you to understand the, his mindset and the thinking and the thought behind right. it. Um, like, like it, you're not, if you go and type in, if you get your Strong's Concordance or whatever, and you type in warrior angels, it, it, it's, it's not going to, there's not going to be a scripture that says warrior angels. You will find stories though, of the, mm-hmm. the angels that went out to war and, and took care of something. So, um, or you can look up, you know, verses on being bold and making your request known before the Lord. You, you, you can, you can get things that actually encompass the idea of what it is that you want um, and use that because it's still scripture. It may be a story, you know, with, mm-hmm. you know, 15 verses to tell the story, but it's still scripture. So you can say, as it says in, it is written in the Bible. And yet that when Jesus was tempted in fighting Satan in the, in the wilderness and when on his 40 day fast, you know, um, mm-hmm. Satan would come up and make an accusation or make an offer. And he'd say, it is written. So he always defeated the enemy with the written word of God. So know your Bible. So, you know, and if you know, we can talk privately too, you know, if you're, you know, looking for specific things, um, stories, because you need to be encouraged by the story because they're not stories. They are mm-hmm. recorded facts. You know, these, these are truths that, that were done and, and said and, and all these things. So you need to know that if it happened then, it can happen now because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Makes sense. Yeah, it's raining again now, too, at the end of your report. Isn't that fascinating? Cleared up for your report, and now it's raining again. Don't ask me why. <laughs> I just find these little coincidences fascinating. Pianki, you got a comment? Because Pianki and I are going to hash out the, the whole convention of states thing uh, in the next hour, sure. which should be quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, communication in my areas, uh, well, contact, all that kind of stuff. Pianki, you got a point? Yeah, go ahead. No, I don't have no point. You and I are not going to hash out the convention of states. You need to get somebody here who supports that and have been doing so longer than I have. But I okay, well, that's fine. Well, uh, well, I, I'm certainly going to talk about it. I've got an article, uh, and feel free to react to it. Yeah, no, I don't want to put you on the spot if you, you know, um, that's fine. Um, but if you want to make, you know, a comment on it before I get going, feel free. And I'll present my case. And then uh, we'll just go from there. Wendy, 
contact stuff, and then we shall uh, we shall do it again next week. Okay, um, contact you. You can contact me through Wendy Arthur on Facebook or Art by Wendy Arthur, and you can even go ahead and go to the Action Radio Oh My God page um, and contact me through there. And um, if you have any questions, I'll be happy to answer them and or point you in the right direction. Yeah, that group's growing, by the way. It's kind of interesting. You know, we, we uh, yeah. you know, when I first thought of it, I said, can I do an oh, my God group? And so it's like, well, why not? <laughs> Good thing God has a sense of humor. <laughs> because I certainly, uh, yes. you know, tweak that on, on a regular basis. Okay. Very cool. All right. Well, let me play a couple of things. We shall do it again next week. Thank you. And, yes, I'll be talking to you off the air. I've got, uh, I got, I got some serious questions here. So we shall, uh, we shall see. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Y'all be blessed. Bye. You too. All right, so play a couple things. Be back. We'll talk Convention of States. Uh, and then I have a, a replay of a classic WEBY interview with uh, Melvin Pearson um, of the Florida ACLU. Uh, it was quite interesting. It was very interesting. I wish I had more folks on. I, mean, I should invite them on again. Um, but I do like to get different perspectives. And, yeah, I challenged her a few times. But, uh, well, you'll see later. Anyway, let me play this for now and be right back in a couple minutes. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws. My pillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand your ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, 
to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. Yeah, I always get inspired by that. That's kind of cool. All right, got Pianki still in the line here. Anybody else wants to join us, 215-383-3832. We've got live chat. You can type in from anywhere in the world. We've got uh, Skype. We've got our Skype line, which also uh, you can call in from anywhere in the world. That's why we set it up. You just call in the day before uh, or call in today, and then I can uh, register your account for next time. Uh, and that's how it works. Pretty simple. We have a variety of groups uh, on Facebook. I think it's like 21 of them now, the newest being the Action Radio Election Integrity Group. Uh, which is run by me and uh, Diane Warner, who does our election integrity report. Um, Wendy Arthur does the Oh My God uh, page. Uh, in fact, most reporters have their own page uh, or, or their own group. <clears throat> we have um, our, our gun group, Action Radio Gun Group. Uh, Shirley Watchell, who's our Friday gun reporter, uh, has a big hand in keeping that one going. And there's just different ones. Michael Bolpe does the Action Radio Family Law Project. Uh, we've got a couple of, I'm trying to encourage our, our, our younger reporters to do the uh, student advocacy group. Um, there's just several. I've got the legal project uh, where Jonathan Mosley posts a lot. He's our legal reporter, uh, criminal defense attorney. Uh, and I'm um, just trying to think of, of, of all the different groups. We've got a lot of groups. <laughs> you know, uh, Economics Project, um, I do that. Derek Park, has a, our financial uh, reporter, has a big hand in that group. And so everybody, uh, you know, pretty much has a group here. And so it's, it's quite fascinating. Plus there are extra groups. Uh, we have a private action radio vaccine project, um, but private for obvious reasons, because I can't have people, uh, you can find it online, but you, you can't just, not everybody can join it um, because we've had too many problems with Facebook, you know, canceling and disabling my most popular group ever, which was the Dr. Zelenko action radio coronavirus clearinghouse. We were getting out information to people and we were saving lives. Uh, and of course, that's why Facebook shut us down, you know, because you can't go against the uh, the CDC, Dr. Fascist, and and the uh, the the Remdesivir ventilator death march, uh, and you certainly can't go against the uh, uh, the vaccine jab, you know, monopoly medical Holocaust bioweapon, which I just did, of course, you know. But that's how that works. Anyway, um, let's. Uh, I want to, you know, Pianca, like I say, I don't want to, you know have a big conflict, whatever you, you do or don't want to say about convention of states, I think it's a problem. Um, but uh, if you want to make a comment on it, feel free. And I shall get my constitution out here. And well, the constitution has been amended. The constitution has, the convention of states have been going on with the ERA since 1923. And my understanding is the ERA is supposed to come into effect January this year. And the Equal Rights Amendment? The constitution to be, yes. It didn't open up the Constitution to be uh, slaughtered. So no, but that like was started the, by Congress. That, that went through Congress before it, it uh, went to the states. See, the, the, there's two ways for a constitutional amendment to, to uh, be ratified. One is it starts in the Congress, uh, and the other is it starts with a convention of states. And what I want to do is I've got an amendment here which, which says that a constitutional amendment can start with an individual state. And then if another state passes it verbatim, it's got to be the, the verbatim amendment. But if, if three-quarters of the states pass on their own a verbatim amendment that everybody knows about, let's say the Equal Rights Amendment started in the states. So let, let's pick a state, Tennessee, where the fainting goat video is going to come from. So Tennessee says, okay, we're going to ratify the equal, an Equal Rights Amendment for the, the federal constitution. And then other states pick it up. And eventually, you know, three-quarters of the states go, yep, this is a good idea. And it gets ratified in the states. Then it goes to Congress. And if either House of Congress does not get two-thirds, it doesn't happen. But if both Houses of Congress do, then it does happen. My concern is that why is it the states have to do it by convention, which opens up the whole Constitution, but Congress 
when they propose a constitutional amendment, that doesn't open up the whole Constitution. That only opens up that one amendment. So I don't know why the, because, the Constitution is written this way. Go ahead. When they, written, they wrote it that way because that's the way they felt was best when they wrote mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And oh, no, I, I'm sure they did, but current wisdom regardless, shows that, yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. Regardless, it still is left up to the states, which are the people. Yeah, no, I, you know, I understand the logic. So, so let me give the, the argument for the Convention of States, that it can be limited, that uh, it's, not a, it's not opening up the whole Constitution, that we can propose certain amendments. Um, I wish they proposed them ahead of time, but uh, Mark Meckler, when he came on the show, he talked about uh, this, like a couple of different ones. You can have an open convention, which is a constitutional convention. You can have a, a what they call a, a program, I think it was, convention where they have uh, specific amendments that they're proposing and those don't change. They either get ratified or they don't. Or I think he had a, what he called a topic convention where you bring in general principles like balancing the budget, limiting the government, bringing the government more into compliance with the Constitution, things like that. The general principles where they write their amendments in the, in the, in the convention of states. So, so he outlined some basic different ones. I rejected all of them. And the reason I did is because I want the same procedure for um, the states that the, that, the, that the Congress has. In other words, they, they can take up an individual amendment among the states and, uh, and, and say, you know, five states pass an amendment and the sixth state comes along and says, you know what, we've got a better wording. Let's do that. And the other states go, yeah, we like your wording better. Let's, you know, void our, our – let's unratify the one we had. Let's ratify that one. So now they build it that way. So the states can actually amend it and come up with a, a thing. As long as when three-quarters of the states pass an amendment, it's, it's verbatim the same one that was passed in all those three-quarters of the states. But that way you avoid a, a convention. So this is what I'm, tra- I'm trying to avoid a convention. You need a convention so that everybody – just like you had the constitutional convention. You need the convention. Uh-huh. All representatives of the states are there, and they have ample time to make the decision. Congress is not going to impose limitations on itself. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I agree I with that. I would do it if I was doing me. No, I agree. Uh, time well, let's, well, let's take my constitutional amendment to balance, to, not to balance, but uh, I have a constant approach for folks that are new to it. Go to writeyourlaws.com, click on legislation, click on all proposed laws, and you will find uh, up at the very top is a constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. Okay. Now, what I'm saying is that individual states should be able to pass that verbatim and ratify it. Say, okay, we believe this needs to be in the Constitution. Let's make it official. And if enough states did that, it should be able to go to, conference, to, to Congress. But if the states didn't, but you know, if that went to a convention of states, you know, and you're saying all the states have to meet, um, this was written before the technology of um, – what we have today. So the states don't have to meet. We have instant communication. States can meet by Zoom, representatives of different states. In fact, entire state legislatures could meet by Zoom or some way of doing this. So they can meet and communicate instantly. See, I understand having a convention. And in fact, this may have been the logic of it. I don't know. It's an interesting question that because the Congress, what they're really trying to do is to make sure that if a state proposed a ratification uh, ratifying the Constitution, that all the other states were involved, and they needed, needed a convention for that purpose to gather everybody to make sure the states heard about it. That makes sense. I understand that. These days, though, because given the times that we are in with instant communication, that convention is no longer necessary and, in fact, may be more dangerous than beneficial. That's what I'm saying. Does that make sense? I don't see how it would be dangerous. No, you have people just like you have your 
uh, legislative sessions meet today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, ultimately, the legislatures are going to have the vote for it. It may take years. The legislators that uh, first was present when it began may not be mm-hmm. their presence when it all comes to a final decision. Mm-hmm. The thing I like about it is that once it passed, Congress had no authority on changing it at all. It's there. Well, they wouldn't have any authority over the states ratifying individually either. They'd have nothing to say until three-quarters well, of the states sent it to Congress. Each state has, yeah, each state does have to ratify it individually. Mm-hmm. That's the way uh, Mississippi didn't ratify the uh, 14th Amendment until uh, – he didn't ratify the 13th Amendment until 1976. And the no, 14th I mean, Amendment was ratified recently in the 2000s with, I think, Kentucky. I'm not sh- sure. I don't have the information from me. I could use to keep it. But some of those amendments, you wouldn't be surprised. The 13th and 14th Amendment was ratified in my lifetime, in your lifetime even. No, they were, they were the 1800s. I think I think of uh, different ones. Mississippi, well, as a whole, oh, but you had okay. states that didn't ratify individual states that didn't ratify it until as a reason, like I said, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me give you an article here, and uh, I'll get started on this, and feel free to interrupt, jump in at any time, uh, and let me know what you think if something strikes you as not quite uh, correct. But I found this from the Freedom First Society. This was written February 12th of 2015, so it's a little old, about seven years old. Don Fotheringham, F-O-T-H-E-R-I-N-G-H-A-M. And what I want to do, I'm going to try and get this person on the show because I think this would be a great discussion. Uh, and maybe get Mark, Mac, Mark Meckler, head of the Convention of States, back on a different day. I usually, I don't like to do debates uh, unless these two would be civil, which they probably would. So I'll think about how to best to handle this. Anyway, he says, this, this article refutes the most common claims of an intense drive to stampede the public and state legislatures into calling for a dangerous second constitutional convention, a con-con, under the pretense of solving the very real problem of an out-of-control federal government. The states cannot limit a con-con. And so this is, uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier. The latest fad in a con-con circle, circle is the notion that an Article 5, that Article 5 establishes a special breed of single-issue con- single convention that empowers the states to limit the convention to a preset agenda. CONCON promoter Michael Ferris asserts that an Article 5 convention is limited to consideration of single amendments and cannot, therefore, stray from its call and make wholesale changes in the Constitution. Somewhere in his scholarship, Mr. Ferris has missed the point. In a free society, the people are, supreme sovereign, are the supreme sovereign authority, and the power of a constitutional convention flows directly from the people. See, this is something that you've talked about, Pianchi, too. That is, the article says that is the power by which the states were created when freed from Great Britain. That is also the power that created the United States Constitution in 1787. Mr. Ferris has it all backward. He has the creature, the states, dictating to their creator the convention of the people. When the people meet in convention, they are under no obligation to abide by the terms of the state resolutions. That is why Article 5 establishes no procedures other than to apply. Once two-thirds apply... Congress shall, Congress shall call a convention, and once the convention convenes, it is under the highest sovereign authority of a free country, the people. The rules, procedures, and agenda are set by the convention. 
Neither Congress nor the state legislatures have any authority or control over a convention once it is called to order. The idea that an Article 5 convention is something different from the convention of 1787 is refuted by the official record. During the original convention, when Deputy Roger Sherman was making some incidental language changes in Article 5, the record states, Mr. Sherman moved to strike out Article 5 after legislatures, the word of three-fourths, and so after the word conventions, leaving future conventions to act in this matter, like the present convention, according to circumstances, you know, and I'm not sure what exactly that means. I'll have to get further in the article. It says, in other words, they expected future conventions to be just like the present convention, which had the power to create, alter, or abolish governments. Nowhere in the records of the Federal Convention or in the Federalist Papers do the framers imply that an Article 5 convention is anything other than the type of convention that, went, that was then underway in Philadelphia. Conventions are conventions, whether intended for single amendments or wholesale changes. A limited constitutional convention is an oxymoron. So now I tend to agree with that. I think that's the problem. We can ratify individual amendments without a constitutional convention. Pianchi? No, I think that they can be individual. And if, if, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be one, but it can be individual amendments. But see, I think we can propose that uh, without a constitutional convention. There's, there's two ways to do it. One is we actually have an amendment uh, that says that the states can propose them individually, and when three-quarters ratify a, a particular amendment, then it then goes to the Congress, the same way that the Congress can propose an amendment and ratify by two-thirds of the Congress, and then it goes to the states. See, that's me with an equal procedure. I don't see the difference of requiring well, see, a convention. Can, Go ahead. The, the Congress, the, the state legislatures have the ability to call a congressperson in. Mm-hmm. So if the state legislature has the power to call either a congressperson or a U.S. senator to the floor for whatever mm-hmm. reason, they want to, want to chastise them or whatever, they right. already have that authority over those individuals. So when the states decide in the unison that are required, and they send it to and it, 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 just, it comes out. Congress had Congress will have a constitution with that new amendment added to it. Hmm. Well, do you know where in the constitution uh, it, it says that the the, uh, the state legislatures can recall reps and senators? Do you have a reference on That's that? That's where they come from. Every well, I know that, but... every. Is it stated? Is it stated, or is this implied by the language? In other words, with the the language of the election. Um, well, it would be implied. It would. It does. It's, it's not necessarily stated, but it would be implied by. Mm-hmm. Well, just like recall, a citizen have a right to recall mm-hmm. a elected official. Yeah, that's that's usually state law. Uh, requiring well, I'm not sure how that works. Recalls are, we recall. See, I remember in California, we recalled Governor Gray Davis was recalled, and he was kicked out. Oh, and that was done. Actually, started by a radio show. Because the, the people the brought him back. Radio. He, right. Yeah, the people brought him back to the carpet, and for whatever reason, they mm-hmm. felt that they weren't doing the right thing, uh, mm-hmm. doing something contrary to what uh, they were sent there for. All the, the the things that we hear people complaining about, they already have the power to change yeah. and make mm-hmm. those changes. 
The federal government has too much power and power that has been, they have assigned to themselves mm-hmm. uh, along areas like the Commerce Clause. That is completely used today beyond yeah. what it was intended for. Yeah, the CDC derived their authority, the, the Center for Disease Control. And prevention, allegedly, <laughs> although they actually should be the, the Center for Disease, you know, or <laughs> the population control and, uh, and, and direction. I mean, this is, the CDC is not doing what they're yeah. supposed to. But they don't have a medical charge. There's nothing medical about the CDC. It comes under the, – they, they derive the authority from the Commerce Clause. How do I know that? I read the, C, the CDC, uh, you know, charter, basically. They're not a regulatory. Yeah, agency. and uh, they have a regulatory power. Big I'm sorry. Look at Obamacare and when Roberts ruled the question of whether it could be uh, whether it should come under the Commerce Clause. Let it go again. Use the Commerce Clause. And he said no. All right, that should have ended. But he said no, but it could be a tax. And thus you have what you have today. Well, that's why Roberts is a terrible – Roberts is a terrible uh, Supreme Court judge. Well, they shouldn't be able to make those type of authoritative mm-hmm. guesses and remarks at all. The courts are to hear arguments between two parties. That's it. Mm-hmm. And I agree. States do not have to. States do not have to abide by courts if they decide that they want to. The same nullification of a court order, the same nullification of a congressional act, just like Joe Biden just signed here the other day, can be nullified by the states. It's like a jury, I mean, much of the time we talk about, a jury can nullify a law if they think the law is unconstitutional. And we know mm-hmm. that that goes on. There's a lot of things that's passed by who we perceive to be your elected officials that just is not constitutional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, and that's just we're, the way it happens. Yeah, see, you, you and I are both riding the Constitution train to Washington, D.C., uh, I just think that uh, I just don't want you know either of our trains to get derailed. <laughs> that, that's kind of what I'm doing. In other words, we both want the same things. We're both trying to uh, have the Constitution enforced as written. We both agree that uh, that the judiciary cannot quote interpret the laws. Uh, they can only follow them and and uh, use them to to decide or you know offer opinions on cases. And then it's up to the legislatures to make the remedies. And that's that's how it's you know where it becomes you know where that becomes challenge is when you have the insertion of a lot of people coming from mm-hmm. other environments yeah, where they are used to something different. Mm-hmm. And when you start inserting a lot of aliens into your society, especially those that come here illegally, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, you know, they elevate themselves by hook or crook to get to the point where they can uh, vote, and they, then you stand a chance of things changing drastically for the wrong reason. Yeah, yeah. The ER, uh, does that mean that uh, Medicaid, Medicare can be used? I'm sorry. Does that okay. mean it's kind that of fun, actually. Can know it's 830? <laughs> I don't, I don't mind. Does that, mean that uh, does that mean that Medicaid can be used for uh, abortions? Well, that's depriving of life uh, without due process. So, no. Well, you know, there's some people that would argue just the difference. And now it's not, see, 
and that's where the problem comes in. I guess you can, mm-hmm. it, it is a problem because probably when the Constitution was written, they weren't thinking about women who want to go out and kill their body under the pretense their choice. And well, see, as time goes by, people come up with these different analogies and different logical reasons. The next thing you know, you have where your tax dollars can be used to abort a baby. No, it's, you know, when I said that the Supreme Court can't, uh, quote, interpret the Constitution, in other words, they can't put their interpretation on it, it certainly doesn't mean that we can't debate the issue uh, and we can't, you know, talk about what the language means. You know, you and I being constitutional, well, I'm a constitutional absolutist. In other words, what the Constitution says is what it says. You know, you don't you don't put it back. You know, these these people that go back way, and say, "Well, I'm that way too." Yeah, but uh, well, well, thank you. I I don't like what when people say that. Well, we have to go by the original meaning of the Constitution, what it meant in in 1787. No, you don't do that. You go by what it says. Okay, when it says "shall not be infringed," okay. now you can go back and, and get the meaning of the word to understand what it means today. You can do that. You know, to not infringe means to not even encroach upon, not even touch the outside extreme edge. That's what the fringe is. You know, we talk about fringe groups, fringe element, things like that. That's, you know, if you touch even the outside edge of the right, you know, you're, you're infringing on it. You know, you're, you're getting close to it and you can't even do that. So that's how strict the language is. People don't understand that need to need to learn the language of what it means. Once you know what the words mean, then then the Constitution becomes very clear. And it's not really a case of, quote, interpreting and to interpret to me means to change, it means to, you know, to change the no. meaning for your own particular purposes. Yeah. You know, I'm going to tell you something, Greg. We're uh-huh. in a predicament right now as a country. A very precarious position. You see what happens when you go through the procedures that you would think you normally would go through, and that's right. not working as it, as it applies to these election ballots and elections. Mm-hmm. We can no one can say in a mind, a logical mind, that something is going on with these elections. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the normal way that you go about applying and making changes that affect your life legally. Now, if that don't work no more, you're going to have to move to something else that's more carved in stone. And then if that doesn't work, well, I tell you, I hate to describe what that's going to look like. Hmm. And that's why I'm here. <laughs> that's why Action Radio is here. And that's why for those that are on the side of either bullets or ballots, that uh, bills is, a, is your third option, folks. You know, the elections don't work. We know that. They're being stolen. That has to change. Uh, nobody wants a civil Well, some people want a civil war. I don't. I don't want to, you know, there's no reason for it. No one's going to win. The nation will be destroyed for, for no reason. Over, and we can settle these questions, you know, peacefully. And that's where bills come in. Yeah, so, under no circumstances am I going to accept two men being husband and wife. I'm mm-hmm, not going to accept that. Yeah. And those that, and once I express my views in a quote unquote uh, logical and peaceful manner, but mm-hmm. the people that watch that don't want you to be able to deny yourself of that. Of that, then the next thing you want to do is force it. What are they going to do next? Put me in jail? No, I'm fighting. Well, actually, you you may you know if it becomes if your thoughts become hate thoughts or or if you if you utter hate speech, you know there are places in Europe, England especially, where people are being jailed uh, for their Facebook opinions, for example. And you yeah, can't say right. that. I, that's, I really, that's too hateful. You know? So yeah. So well, here's where I come down on it. What two men or two women do is is fine, 
but putting it in law is not fine. Okay, you cannot codify this. You cannot, you, you can't say that marriage, the government cannot say that marriage means, you know, two men or two women when quite, you know, everything from, from biblical scripture uh, through, through every society that I know of defines uh, marriage the same way. A man and a woman sanctioned by God, licensed by the state. That's what a marriage is. Now, does that mean a new union cannot be formed with two men and two women? Sure, but you can't call it a marriage because it's not. It defies the definition. And I don't like our language being screwed with and our laws being screwed with for a popular fad. This is only something that's come up in the last few yeah. years, you know, according to in, in, in man, world history. You sit, next hmm? to, you sit next to another man, he starts rubbing your thigh, and you slap his hand. Are you subjected oh, to that. assault? <laughs> What's well, that that's now? Are you well, that was already to assault. assault? Yeah. He, would say, well, uh, he would say that the law says I got a right to marry you, and in order for me to marry you, I got to do all these things that leads up to me marrying you. And you're yep. saying I can't do them to you? I can't rub you on the thigh? I can't kiss you behind the ear? What? I can't uh, <laughs> trade saliva with you in a kiss? Ugh. He's so dramatic. Um, graphic, I think. Yeah. So you're talking about people uh, being affectionate in public or, or like an assault on a straight guy? I mean, I'm a little confused here what you're talking about. Assault on a, assault on a straight guy. I yeah, said, that's, a, uh, that's an assault, though. No, you can't do that. Obviously not mm-hmm. because that's an assault. That comes under the assault laws, you know, and, and then if you but repel if that, physically, that right would be... to marry you. The law says, I got a right to marry you, Greg. Come on. <laughs> this is an interesting chat. Uh, no, because that's, uh, first of all, no one can be forced to marry. Uh, no one can be forced to consent. We already know that, you know, my body, my choice, right? And so all the laws governing assault, if someone encroaches upon your space, you know, with the intentions of doing something against your will, that's an assault. So you couldn't do that. That's all right, Greg. I'm going to get my lawyer and I'm going to sue you. Let's go. I'll see you in court. (laughs) This is going to be interesting. Isn't that what they've done to the baker? Yeah. The baker's an an interesting case. And and I've got a way around that. Uh, I don't know if they're using this argument. Tell me about the baker case. I don't want to get back to uh, more of the Convention of States article because it's interesting. Well, all of this is, is, is pertaining. You mm-hmm. know, if they had a, in the formation of the Constitution, if they had defined marriage more uh, in detail, if they mm-hmm. had defined a, a life and when it is recognized as life, then a lot of the things that we've been going through here in, in our time probably never would have came up as an issue. Mm, they didn't have to, though, because, uh, you know, the, 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 the Constitution is a specific limit on federal power. And one of the greatest limits on federal power is what's not in the constitution because the constitution says, this is all you can do. And the fact that marriage isn't there and and healthcare isn't there and having armed bureaucrats, having armed agents of the federal government isn't there, that automatically makes it unconstitutional because if they do something that they haven't specifically been delegated authority to do, that's, that's breaking the law. That's breaking the Supreme law of the land. That's That's, just like, you make a great point. Well, thank you. I have my moment. And unfortunately, people <laughs> right. don't have the ability to think logically, analytically. See, you you pose analytical thoughts mm-hmm. to a situation. Others don't do that. Yeah. They do it oh, by emotion, and they do it by some conceived right and wrong. It's not by mm-hmm. right and wrong. It's by the law. Because mm-hmm. any law could be perceived as being right and wrong. It all happens all the time. Mm-hmm. And if you have an objection to a law, especially if you're a juror, you know, you can you can vote to nullify it. 
and that could be the right or my wrong. My right is your wrong. Your wrong is my right. I mean, that's just the way mm-hmm. it naturally is. So you have to have something cast a song that is uno number one uh, in spiritual realm. They say this is the, uh, the the voice of God. You have mm-hmm. to have that. Yeah. If you don't, yeah. you'd be all over the place. And as I said before, if things are based upon uh, traditional norms, societal norms, this mm-hmm. is like marriage, societal norms. In some society, it's normal for a man to have multiple wives. In this society, it's not. Societal norms. So when a person marries outside the country and wants this government to recognize it, this mm-hmm. government, the, the immigration, won't recognize no multiple marriages because it's not societal norms in the United States. Now, there's where it comes a conflict. Well, see, I don't think the federal government can do that. I don't think the federal government has any jurisdiction over marriages either here or in other countries. So whether they, they don't have the authority to either recognize or not recognize. So if someone wants to come here from Saudi Arabia with a harem, okay, uh, that's, you know, you cannot let them in the country, you know, because the federal government does control the border, um, but, they can't, but they can't do it because of the, who they're married to. You well, know, let's, let's do. see. Uh, and, yeah. They, no, they do. That. They do it. Yeah. Well, let's put it. They do do it. That's because you get married outside the country. They can't declare it being a bogus marriage. And right. it's a, and it's a reason after reason after reason at uh-huh. you. Yeah, I guess And the, also, the, the, the you got screen. another problem. Yeah. You got another problem. If you got five wives and you die, then what happened to the benefits that's assigned to you with one wife? Does they have to well, be multiplied by four more times? Well, it depends where the uh, where the, the probate settled. Is it going to be settled in the, in the country where the marriage is registered? More than likely, that wouldn't be a U.S. problem or a state problem, because that would be settled in the nation where they're where they're in. Let me get back to this article, but I want to just make one two quick points. When you talk about logic and reason, the two things that I've learned in this show these are like two 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 Gregisms. One, assumptions are stronger than truth. People will go to the grave with their assumptions, even though they're completely incorrect. I made a comment on that earlier, that this nation is run by an incredible set of, uh, of wrong assumptions, you know, from the government and uh, those same wrong assumptions understood by the people. That's the first thing. Assumptions are strong in the truth. The second thing is that logic and reason really find your way through, that you, you don't have to be an expert. You know, you, don't, you can take the emotion out of an argument. I did this with Brianna on Tuesday, um, that, yesterday actually, that you can logically and, and systematically follow through things going from what you know to what you don't know. And, and you can make, uh, you know, objective uh, theories or hypotheses or conclusions based on the logic of your argument. And I do that all the time on the show. That's what I'm doing with the Article 5 convention. You know, in other words, the goal is correct. The goal of, of amending the Constitution to take some things out that shouldn't be there uh, and maybe add a couple of things in that should be there is, is, a, is, an, is an admirable, admirable goal. But if we don't get there the right way, then a lot of really bad things can happen. And that's my, that's my basic argument against it. So let me go, let me just, uh, let me read Article 5 here. I should bring this out again so people know what we're talking about. And then I'll read the next section. And I, I, you're going to like the interview, uh, uh, I think, when I, my WEBY Classic interview with Melba Pearson of the ACLU. So I have a liberal uh, lawyer who's going to, uh, um, in this recording, it's, it's five years old, but it's still, it's still an interesting thing. The, the issues haven't changed. Okay, Article 5, the Congress, whenever two-thirds of both houses shall deem it necessary, shall propose amendments to this Constitution, or on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states, shall call a convention for proposing amendments. And that's basically the difference. Congress can do it individually within Congress, but the states have to do it by convention. And that's my contention, that that's wrong. 
that the state should be able to do it just as the Congress does it. Anyway, let me uh, just make sure everything's broadcasting. I'm going, okay, that's good, that's good. Check my everything else, and let's get on to this. So reading an article, The Danger of a Convention of States, Don Fotheringham from February 12th of 2015. The website is Freedom First Society. So he says, in the second part, the falsified purpose of Article 5, the CONCON, and that's the Constitutional Convention, the CONCON men have falsified the meaning and purpose of Article 5. Here in bold type is a direct quotation from the CONCON collaborator, Ken Cuccinelli, uh, who asserted that, I know him, <laughs> I've heard him on, on, on news a bunch of times. Anyway, he says, our founding fathers gave the states a method of proposing amendments to our Constitution to rein in the power and jurisdiction of the federal government. Proud Virginian George Mason insisted that one day the federal government would outgrow its bounds. And when that day came, the states would need to have the ability to amend the Constitution to limit the power of the federal government. An Article 5 Convention of States is the specific recourse he and our founders put in the Constitution for that purpose. I also want to say Mark Levin is very much in favor of a Convention of States. And he's a constitutional scholar, constitutional attorney, but I still think he's wrong. Anyway, the article says every word of the above statement is false. Our founding fathers did not create Article 5 to rein in the power and jurisdiction of the federal government. The Constitution they had just written already did that. That's what my argument before, Pianchi, that was not in there, that the biggest limitation on federal power is what's not in the Constitution, what they specifically left out, like judicial review, like public health, like marriage, all these other things, like arming their own agents. That's not there, so they can't do it. Uh, he, says, uh, he says that was the reason for drafting the Constitution in the first place. He says, moreover, quote, proud Virginian George Mason never said one day the federal government would outgrow its bounds. And when that day came, the states would ha- need to have the ability to amend the Constitution to limit the power of the federal government. He says this is an outlandish lie. It cannot be found in the records of the federal, gov- federal convention or in any of the official founding documents. This fabrication is inconsistent with the main purpose of Article 5, which Mr. Mason clearly expressed in the official records. This is about Constitutional Convention, um, 1787, I believe. He says, Colonel George Mason urged the necessity of such a provision. The plan now to be formed will certainly be defective as the Confederation has been found on trial to be. That's the Articles of Confederation, not the Confederacy. Just make that clear definition. He says, amendments, therefore, will be necessary, and it will be better to provide for them in an easy, regular, and constitutional way than to trust to chance and violence. He says, James Madison also explained the purpose of Article 5. That useful alterations will be suggested by experience could not but be foreseen. It was requisite, therefore, that a mode for introducing them should be provided. The mode preferred by the convention seems to be stamped with every mark of propriety. It guards equally against that extreme facility, which would render the Constitution too mutable, and that extreme difficulty, which might perpetuate its discovered faults. It, moreover, equally enables the general and state governments to originate the amendments of errors as they may be pointed out by the experience on one side or the other. Now, whenever you read original writings of the Founding Fathers, you get confused. <laughs> That's why I had such a tough time with my, uh, doing my founding documents, my founding, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the founding moments uh, series, which I'd like to get back to. Um, hopefully my sponsor will come back and I can keep you know, doing wait, that. Wait. Yeah, go ahead. Uh-huh. It sounds to me like people are making allowances for a state to amend its own constitution mm. rather than I, I think they're speaking federal. Well, states can amend their own constitution. 
Yeah. Yeah, they can. A state, a state, the state of uh, Kentucky doesn't need Illinois to help it amend its constitution. That's why come the 14th Amendment was not uh, ratified by Kentucky until 1976. That's and Mississippi on the 13th in 1995 because that's when that legislative body chose to do so, regardless of what the other states did. Yeah. Presently, you have 20 states, if I'm not mistaken, that have signed on to this convention. Mm-hmm. And you need another 18. That's already you've got over two-thirds of what you need. And it depends on how you count. Yeah, you have two-thirds, so 10, 20, 30, a little bit less than two-thirds. So it's, it's going to happen. They're going to move on it. And, uh, you know, it's hopefully that it works out for the best. Hmm. Well, that's the idea. But All the states have states uh, signed on Yeah. But to, to go to your previous point, the states have really screwed up their constitutions. They've made them legislative. Uh, a constitution's only purpose is to limit a government, whether a state or the federal government. That's what a constitution's for. It's an, it's an absolutely critical part of any republic. You, you cannot have a republic. That's why people say a constitutional republic. <clears throat> that's redundant. That's like saying wet water. <laughs> you, know, uh, it's, you don't need it. A republic, by definition, has a constitution, uh, I think should have a Bill of Rights, uh, and certainly has, um, you know, defined powers. I mean, that's the whole point of it, of, of a constitution, of, of a republic. And it has separations of powers. That's what makes a republic. You know, a well, national government. Has you know, a uh-huh. state has its own republic. If a state decides to lead the rest of the union, then it has to have something to exist by. And that's its state constitution. That's why states are individual countries. They mm-hmm. agree yeah. to join them to the union. Yep. Secession is constitutional, but it's interesting that the, the, uh, the union, the federal government, went to war with the, the Confederacy uh, over the question of whether they could secede. I think that was really the biggest question. It was uh, overregulation, taxation. Uh, the big question was secession and slavery. They're like four big issues that I can think of that caused the Civil War. Well, but it was, secession well, was huge. Yeah, slavery was. It, was. it was the previous one that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a marriage. Do a wife have a right to divorce the husband or mm-hmm. vice versa? Yeah, I mean, the divorce <laughs> is equal. <clears throat> it, ha- it has to be, otherwise, you know. Society yeah. is not. Huh. That's true. Well, let me, let me read this little section here. Uh, there's, there's two more little bits, and then uh, I'm going to play another interview I think you'll find fascinating. In my wife's society, uh-huh. you know, to add, add a little bit on. In yeah, my wife's society, the wife and the child is the property of the husband. Yeah, but they're also the responsibility of the husband, too, to take care of. So cannot, if a, if a husband fails to take care of his wife and children, um, say he abandons them, what, what, there's, there's a penalty for that, isn't there? I don't know in every case. I'm not justifying, you know, women and children be thought of as property. I'm not. Uh, I think that's, that's, that's definitely you know, well, it, wrong. But go ahead. You know what the problem is? Because of your relationship and your knowledge of the society you live in mm-hmm. and the play of words, like the word slave. 
In other societies, the slave does not have the connotation. The word slave does not have the connotation mm-hmm. that it does in the States. Matter of fact, in the attempt to end indigenous slavery in some countries, the people was totally against it mm. because the idea of it wasn't as horrified and horrendous as it is uh, became in the United States as described. Now, there are other countries where it is terrible. But in some countries, it may be several different forms of slavery. I know in Ghana, it's at least five different forms of slavery, including pawning, where you pawn off somebody in order for them to work off a debt that you owe their master. So it's hmm. it's, it's the society that you live in. And what I'm saying here in the United States, the thing mm-hmm. we have became accustomed to, because you start letting in people from different society bringing in their experiences, well, it stands a change, stands a chance of being drastically, uh, you know, altered. Well, that's what they're bringing these people in for. I mean, the whole idea. Yeah, we're I think seeing it. They're bringing a, a peasant class, you know, of people that are government dependent. I mean, we know why this is happening, but you know, anyway, let's let me say that for a little different time. I want, I want to kind of focus on. I like to to complete a subject uh, in an hour. If we can. <laughs> anyway, so let me get back to this Convention of States idea uh, and this article, and then people can uh, judge it and call us and see what you think. Anyway, this is the illegal assembly of state legislatures. Without the slightest concept of the principles of America's convention system or of the sovereign source of government making, this refers to parts early in the article, a private group of state legislators has undertaken the task of making the rules for a future constitutional convention. Their deliberations are a sad illustration of the failure of American education, which we've talked about. Under the name Assembly of State Legislatures, ASL, they purport to emulate the 1786 Annapolis meeting in which the deficiencies of the Articles of Confederation were discussed and a date set for revising them. The ASL resolution, this is the one that brings states into the Convention of States, the ASL resolution asserts that the state legislatures have relinquished power to the national government that has upset the balance originally provided by the founders in our federalist system. That is not exactly what was what has happened. Is that the states have not relinquished power. The federal government has usurped power in violation of its constitutional limits. The imbalance of power stems from federal encroachment, not from any state abrogation of power, not from any abrogation of power by the states, and certainly not as a result of any structural defects. The purpose and power of a constitutional convention is to amend or rewrite the Constitution. It is obviously impossible to amend the Constitution to restore a provision that was never taken out of it. The delegated federal powers and the residual state powers, as established in the Constitution, remain in place exactly as they were in 1791 when the Bill of Rights was added. Absent any concept of constitution-making principles, the men and women at the ASL are making rules that will be tossed out at the CONCON door, the, the, the Constitutional Convention door. We can only assume that the ASL's rulemaking charade is a device for deceiving state legislators, assuring them that they can apply with confidence for a structured constitutional convention. This is exactly my argument, right? One of the nation's top legal scholars, Charles L. Black of Yale University Law School, pointed out that during our nation's first 100 years, all convention applications were for a general convention. This means that during the lifetime of our founders and long thereafter, all state legislators had a clear understanding of the autonomy of the convention itself. Mr. Black believes that any state application that attempts to limit a convention to a specific topic is null and void. 
1786 Annapolis meeting on which the ASL hangs its hat did not create the rules or procedures for the Philadelphia Convention. That was all done May 25, 1787, after George Washington called the convention to order. State legislators who are invited into the ASL, and that's the Assembly of State Legislators, should challenge its premise and reject the bogus authority of a private organization to establish rules for a federal convention. I agree. I think that A, you can't limit it, and B, the problem is federal overstepping of the Constitution. See, the federal government has broken the Constitution, and the states. You know, so if so you want to amend the Constitution, broken, go ahead. Who brings it back into order? Well, the states and the people, but you don't need to change the Constitution to do it. See, the Constitution is pretty well written, although I think there are two amendments uh, that I think should be added. The first one is to take away the power, and this is where the states can bring in the federal government. If the states take yeah, away the power you, of the how, how are you going to do that? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll so explain the, it. you say, okay, the federal government is way over there. Uh, he's, uh, you should be on 15-degree heading. And you're mm-hmm. on an 18 degree heading. So how do you bring mm-hmm. them back? Well, uh, there are several ways. We've talked about them. One, the states should deny the federal government tax money. Uh, the the states should reject authority, uh, illegal authority over things like vaccine mandates and anything else the federal government does that's illegal. The states should refuse to enforce unconstitutional laws created by the Supreme Court: Roe v. Wade, gay marriage. Uh, Obamacare, things like that. Okay, so there's many ways to object. The people should stop voting for people to the federal government who are violating the Constitution. Well, see, so now, there's many... a problem right there. Yeah. There's your problem right there. Just like in the article you read, when the man started mm-hmm. off, yep. the illegal legislature, he has no mm-hmm. authority to say that these legislatures are illegal because they were elected by people. Now, mm-hmm. you just said that people should what people should do and what people would do and do do is different things. And that's mm-hmm. based on their education. You cannot stand at the chance that people are going to do the right thing if they never have been taught to do the right thing. Nobody yep. can draw a picture of a hippopotamus if they never seen one. <laughs> that's true. Let me just read one little section and I'm done with this. Uh, we actually got through what I wanted to get through. But I don't agree with everything in this article. And I'm telling you right now. Uh, but the, the parts I do agree with are that you cannot limit a constitutional convention once it starts. That's my contention. And depending on who's on the panel, depending who's in the media, depending who which states you know, are rushing in, you know, if, the state, if the liberal states say uh, that we want proportional representation, so our state doesn't count one vote. It counts to our electoral college votes. So California would get 55 votes. New York would have 35 votes. You know, who's going to counteract them? Texas, Alaska, and Florida? Well, then they have all these other liberal states, Michigan, Illinois. You know, so there, there are things that could change drastically in an open convention. That's why I'm opposed to it. I'm not opposed to amending the Constitution because I proposed uh, one already, and I'm going to propose another one here shortly. Anyway, you, only have one, you only have one representative who first attends the convention. Well, unless they change the rules. See, that's the thing. Well, they can change, if the, rules change the, the rules. If 13, states, if 13 states don't go, then it, cannot, it won't happen. Mm-hmm. Agreed. But what if those states are outvoted by, by population? Say they, say they make it a popular vote based on population size. Yeah, I mean the the, the ways your legislature does consist your your leg well your legislature 
mm-hmm. those consist by population. Each the each legislative district, state legislative district, is divided by right uh, comes into existence per population. That's oh, what's going on with these illegals? Yeah, but what if they what if they determine that the votes are not one vote per state? What if they determine in the Constitutional Convention the votes are, are the Electoral College vote, for example? <clears throat> so California would have 55, have a, 55 votes. And they would be over there uh, with that idea. You're always going to have some people that's over there with a different idea. And if mm-hmm. their idea is not consensus with the rest of the population, then uh, sooner or later nothing will happen. People can't mm-hmm. come to terms. They can't come to agreement. Mm-hmm. So that's no, I mean, left out. That's why come yeah, you I mean, need. That's why come you need thirty-eight out of fifty. Yeah. No, I understand your point. So I mean, you're making one of thirteen that's going to be left out. Yeah. No, I just I, I just see too much room for for problem, and that we're into an unexplored area. And who's to say that uh, the next constitutional convention will come up with a completely new constitution? You don't know. This is now. This is not an argument between what you think is and what I think is, because as I said before, there's 20 states that already think that it is. Mm-hmm. If I thought that it wasn't, it doesn't make any difference. I would be probably one of, of a possible 13 that say it's not right. But if the other ones come to uh, agreement and sign on like they have, then mm-hmm. I mean, love it or leave it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> See, I, uh, the one thing I do agree with in the article is that the problem is not that the states don't have enough amendments to the Constitution. It's that the federal government has overstepped the Constitution horribly. And I think those are the, that's the way you fix yeah, that. But how do you bring them back into order? You well, think like you're going to introduce a bill. Who the bill is going to have to be passed by? It's going to have to be passed by. It's going to have to mm-hmm. be a bill. It's going to have to go to the committee. Then it's going to have to be go through the, the Congress, then through the Senate. Mm-hmm. Well, part of that is electing people that will con- that, that take you know citizen legislation seriously. Uh, that uh, and part of it's the states getting. Uh, good question. People. Who's going to elect them? See, that, that's well, the great unknown. I know. Look at the, I didn't say look it'd be. Somebody, I didn't say it'd be easy. Look at, at Cory Bush. So that yeah. group of people is going to have to be left out. I guess. I, you know, I'm not just putting on her and picking on her, but I'm just saying mm-hmm. some of the things I've heard her saying, what people have said. But right. I say that uh, look at her, look at AOC's performance. But people still vote her in. Look at Maxine Waters' performance. But people still mm-hmm. vote her in. So to say it's going to have to be left up to the people, my God, from what I've seen out of the people in their action, I don't want to see it anymore. And that's why mm-hmm. I don't live in those districts. Mm-hmm. No, I understand. I, believe me, I, I completely understand. Uh, I've never been a big fan of term limits because we already have them. But if they're that corrupt, I mean, there's, there's another Cory Bush out there that could replace Cory Bush that's just as corrupt, just as leftist, and, just and, as any constitutional as she is. And I'm sure George mm-hmm, Soros has three Cory Bushes lined up. How long up. Charlie Ringel was in office? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was in office over a half a century, wasn't he? 50 years or something like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot Connors, of people. 40 yeah, some we, years? Mm-hmm. We had Robert Byrd, who was a program. Ku Klux Klan member. Yeah, he was a Klan, Klansman. You know, so, yeah. Oh, you know what I wanted to mention, too? Uh, blacks are federalists, federalists mm-hmm. because they don't have no confidence in the state. They have, they depend on the federal government. 
that itself is a problem. Not all blacks, because it's seemingly from what I can determine, and mm-hmm. I can base it on my own self, the more educated and the more ability that you have to take advantage of the capitalistic opportunities in the country, mm-hmm. you go from being a federalist thinking to an anti-federalist thinking. And it only makes for reason. But blacks as a whole, and not every of them, all of them, are can be considered as federalists because they have no uh, no lime or reason in a state government. They're anti-state. And for a simple reason, because they can't, and really it's crazy, No, uh, no, in no state can blacks outvote carry a whole state. They don't have a population. That's the reason, mm-hmm. but it's not what Well, that's where the convinced. left goes to the courts. The left goes to the courts because they can't get their, their, their draconian Marxist bills through Congress. So they have the courts impose them. Then they, they want to back the courts. Yeah, the, the only thing I can the go against yeah. back in the courts is that each state is allowed one justice. But we got to figure out something to do in case there's a tie. Maybe we have to call either you or Joseph. <laughs> uh, but it was interesting that uh, you know the legislature has been bought, uh, the executive has been stolen through vote fraud, and the judiciary uh, has been completely co-opted into thinking they can uh, do whatever they want. So all three branches of government have been compromised. So that's a big problem. Um, and I see the solution as citizen legislation, as, as writing, you know, regular folks writing laws and, and getting them through. But it's going to take a huge effort, a huge effort uh, to make the kind of changes. It takes that a mandatory effort in different areas. It all yep. has to come together. And mm-hmm. the one yeah, thing that I uh, put great emphasis on is the education of children, like the young lady you was talking to yesterday. Yeah, because that's where it starts. That's where it starts to be built up. But more importantly, that's where it mm-hmm. starts when they want to tear things down. And we're mm-hmm. starting to witness this more openly than it has been brewing for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I agree. This is why I want more younger folks on the show. In fact, I want to try and connect. I'm going to try and connect with, uh, you know, Charlie Kirk at Turning Point USA and get uh, college students because they're active and they would make fabulous lobbyists. Uh, for citizen legislation. And so we don't know what the future holds, but uh, there's some things we've got to break out of, uh, of the restrictions. I need to break out of the restrictions I'm, I'm under from big tech. That's the first thing. Get out the algorithms, get out the shadow banning. Uh, and uh, those laws need to be changed. And the best way to do that is with our Section 230, you know, ending a big tech censorship bill. You know, I've written the, leg- I've written the solution to, to all our problems here in terms of information, um, but getting those solutions and acting the law has proven a huge difficulty. All right, let's let me play a couple things here. It's 9.05. And so I got, yeah, I got, you know, a little bit of time left. I got about 55 minutes. And, well, I can go a little over time if I feel like it. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. But I've got an interview that I want to play for you, Pianki. I'm just going to take our last little uh, commercial break here. And this is WBY. Uh, this is back in 2017. Uh, Melba Pearson, who uh, black civil uh, uh, was a civil attorney for the ACLU. She was a, a uh, prosecutor. And then became, a, I think, a public defender, and then went over to ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union. And we disagree on some things. We also agree on some of the things, too. It was interesting. One of the most interesting parts is one of the commercials uh, about the uh, selective service thing. And you'll hear that I didn't ask her the questions as strongly as I would now. This is where experience uh, has made a difference. But I'm going to play a couple of things, and we'll get into, uh, into the show here. 
uh, in just a minute. So let me just find, uh, where's my, ah, there it is. Be right back. This is Greg Penglis for Strikeforce, your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, WYL, to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. So I wonder if the Heritage Foundation would sponsor Action Radio. Hmm. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three-minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. So let me take you back to May 9th of 2017. I've been a talk show host full-time about two months. Uh, so you, you can hear the, the inexperience in my, my voice and that uh, now, I, like I say, I'd be uh, questioning, not, not nasty, not, object, not uh, you know, trying to ambush uh, my guests. I don't do that. But I still would ask some stronger questions, particularly about Waco uh, and some of the other things that the ACLU does, the double standard on uh, free speech, which is an individual right, and, and guns, which is, they say is a collective right. So I would have pushed those harder, but I didn't do it then because, again, my youth and inexperience. So let me play this interview. Um, Pianti's on the line. Anybody else wants to join us after the interview? It's about, this one's uh, about 44 minutes. So we're going to be taking most of this hour with that. Um, I think you'll find it fascinating. And you hear some of the callers and, and how they did try to ambush my guest, uh, it being a conservative station. But see what you think. And again, if you hear any relationship to WBY, phone numbers, uh, the, you know, anything that doesn't sound like us here, and our number is 215-383-3832. This is Action Radio. Uh, the Action Radio Citizen Legislature on blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. That's us. Okay, let's go back five years. I'm going to play this for you uh, right now. Eight oh six. Yeah, baby. Time for the Action Radio Hour with Greg Penglis here. The phone lines are open, 623-1330, area code 850-623-1330. I think we're going to have a fascinating hour here, so let's get right to our guest. She is a lawyer, a graduate of New York University, a former prosecutor and assistant state attorney for Miami-Dade County. She is a past president of the National Black Prosecutors Association and is currently the deputy director of the Florida ACLU. Please welcome our special guest, Ms. Melba Pearson. So welcome to our show, Melba. Thank you, Greg. 
be here. Oh, good. Well, we had such a fun chat last night, too, so it was interesting, you know, learning about all kinds of things. Um, I am curious, though, first of all, how somebody who was a prosecutor, you know, an enforcer of the government, uh, you know, operations there, the man, if I can, like, mix my metaphors, <laughs> okay, how did you get from there to become uh, deputy director of the Florida ACLU? Well, uh, I was doing a lot of work with regards to criminal justice reform, and, you know, I was kind of ready for a change in my career. I had been a prosecutor for 16 years, and I had a wonderful discussion with our executive director, Howard Simon, and he told me about the work we were, the ACLU was doing with regards to criminal justice reform, and just he really talked to me about the fact that I'd be enforcing justice, but like on a statewide level as opposed to the local level. So, you know, after a few discussions and I did my research and found out what the ACLU was really about and found that my values aligned with theirs, hmm. you know, the rest is history, as they say. Yeah, well, the history is still going on, too. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> and that's the fun of this. Did you see some things as, as a prosecutor for 16 years that you weren't crazy about that led you to, to go over to ACLU? The system itself, I think, has a lot of challenges. Okay. I did the best that I could within the system to make sure that I wasn't adding to the problem of mass incarceration or that I was trying to help people be set up for success because, you know, most people who go into the criminal justice system come back out. Okay. So they're coming back to our communities, and if they don't have the resources to be able to move forward in a productive manner, we're back to square one. So I did what I could within the system, but it's clear that more pressure needs to be put to you know, fund better programming and things like that, stuff that's really going to help our community. We're going to talk about all of those individually because they all have some interesting points. You use the term mass incarceration. Could you define yeah. that a little bit? So mass incarceration is basically the sad state that we're in with regards to our, our criminal justice system. So basically we have, let's say in Florida, for instance, between 2005 and 2015, our incarceration rates grew by 18%. What does that mean exactly for, for rates? Um, just, just actual numbers of people in jail? I'm sorry? Well, what, I'm just trying to think, what, what incarceration rate, what, what is that based on, just the amount of people in jail? The, yes, the literal amount of people in jail. Okay. And we also look at the fact that at this point in time, one in 104 people in Florida is currently in jail or in prison. And one in 54 is on some sort of supervision. So that's a huge chunk of our population. And this is not just Florida. We're looking nationwide. We have an issue where we're trying to incarcerate a way out of a problem. Hmm. And that's not healthy. That's not helping society. That's not reducing crime rates. We're losing whole swaths of people throughout our community. And then you have to look at the effect that that has on families, on communities. You know, folks are growing up with their parents in prison. What kind of message does that send to kids? How does that encourage the next generation to stay on the lawful side of things. It doesn't. Yeah. I think what uh, a lot of folks, especially conservatives, would say is you're focusing too much on the criminals and not enough on the victims of crime. Uh, what are we doing for them? And so what would you say to, to that? Actually, interesting that you said that. There are a lot of conservative voices who have weighed in on mass incarceration uh -huh. and wanting to look at different ways of approaching the criminal justice system. 
for instance, Governor Rick Perry, uh, Governor Bobby Jindal, um, Ed Meese, who was the Attorney General under Ronald Reagan, President Ronald Reagan, even President uh, Bush, W. Bush, had spoken out about this issue, saying that, look, you know, we gotta we got to find a different way to do things. And it's not that we're not focusing on victims, because many times victims just want to be made whole. And being made whole doesn't necessarily mean a long prison sentence. It can mean, look, I just need some money to get myself back, yeah. or I need money for my medical care. You know, so if you really listen to what the victims are saying, they're not necessarily asking for long sentences. And when you look at the cost-benefit analysis, if it's not making the victims whole, if it's not making society safer, then what's the point of the exercise? Hmm, interesting. I think your phone line's getting just a little bit uh, harder to hear now for some reason. I'm not quite sure why. Okay, is it better now? Oh, that's better, much better. Yeah, thank okay. you. So, so um, well, first of all, the prison system is expensive for our society, isn't it? Very, very expensive. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it, it, doesn't, it doesn't help at all. I mean, let's look at one aspect. Okay. From 1987 to 2007, correction spending rose 127%, as opposed to higher education, where spending rose only 21%. So we're spending more to incarcerate people than to educate our kids, which makes no sense. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. It's just, I'm still boggled by it. But if you look at the fact that if you send somebody to, let's say, drug rehab, Mm -hmm. every dollar spent on drug treatment in the community is estimated to give a return of $18.52 in benefits to the community. So if you reinvest that money and look for ways to help people, there's actually a greater gain that comes to the community as opposed to just spending willy-nilly on corruption. How do they figure that, that, that you get $18 back for every dollar you invest? Oh, they're just some really smart people who sit around and think tanks and figure that stuff out. <laughs> well, that's what I'm wondering. So, where do they get those numbers from? This is why I, you know, I, I get accused of interrupting all the time because my first thought when I hear a stat is, and please forgive me if I, if I do it to you, uh, my first thought is, well, how do they analyze that? How do they figure these things out? Because you know, I hear all kinds of numbers and things. I got a quote from your website here, uh, which says the ACLU of Florida seeks to end, uh, seeks an end to policies within the criminal justice system that cause widespread violation of constitutional and human rights, and also lead to unprecedented levels of incarceration, which is what we're talking about. The state of Florida currently incarcerates over a hundred thousand people, more than the population of the city of Clearwater. Did you write that? I did not write that, but I co-signed every bit of that. Okay. <laughs> So what do we do then? It, you know, we, we want to preserve liberties. We want to have people, you know, if people violate the law, there has to be a way to punish them somehow and correct them if we have a Department of Corrections in, in a better, more efficient way than uh, what's going on now, given the fact that if people are dangerous, you can't have them roaming around the streets. So all these things are kind of coming into play. So, so what do we do? Of course, and let me make something abundantly clear. No one's in favor of dangerous people running the streets. Okay. Right? Like, that's not, it's not like, okay, hi, I'm a mass murderer, and we're just going to give you a hug and send you on your way. <laughs> no group hugs. Okay, yeah, that's good. Right, right. We, that's not what we're talking we about. We got that settled. Okay. Right. Um, but when it comes to people, for instance, we need to reinvest in our communities as well as in our criminal justice system. Okay. And when I say reinvest, we're looking at issues such as drug addiction. If you look at how, let's say, let's talk about heroin. Okay. How heroin has been present in communities of color, especially African-American communities, for decades. I mean, I grew up in New York, 
And I remember the story is from like the 50s and the 60s and 70s in Harlem, where heroin was a really widespread problem. And the way that was handled at the time was just incarcerating everybody. As opposed to now, when we talk about the opioid crisis, right. it's like, oh my gosh, you know, we've got to send folks to treatment and, you know, this, this is a disease. This isn't, you know, just criminal activity. And while I'm glad that there is an awakening from that perspective, there's whole communities of color that got decimated by the same drug and it was treated very differently. So I think that movement towards treatment is going to be a huge component because once you send someone through treatment and they finish it successfully, criminality goes down. And they're able to go to work and, and live life as a productive citizen, which is what the end game is no matter how you cut it. So we have to invest in addiction programs. We need to invest in mental health programs because there are a lot of people, and I know this from being a prosecutor and dealing with these cases, uh-huh. there are a lot of people who are incarcerated and have mental illnesses. So their mental illness was the reason why they ended up in the situation they were in. And the reality is not everybody has some fancy you know, insurance program that enables them to be able to get their medicine on a regular basis, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really important that we make sure we're not treating mental illness with prison because that's not a treatment. What you need is medication. You know, what you need is therapy to help you keep your life on the straight and narrow. So that is another aspect, investing in mental health. And, of course, we have to look at what we're doing with our juveniles because, you know, let's face it, we all know kids function very differently than adults. They're not mature. Their brains are not fully developed as of yet. Their decision-making process is very different. So why should they be direct filed into the adult system? Why should they be punished the same as an adult when they're not? Hmm. And there's a different uh, mode. You can be able to, you're able to correct them. You're able to work with them. We should be investing in juvenile, uh, you know, probation programs. We should be you know, doing the juvenile civil citation program where, you know, kids can do some community service as opposed to have to be incarcerated to be able to work off whatever it is that that they did. And then that way there's no permanent effects with regards to, you know, now they have something on their record so they can't get loans for college or they can't, you know, get a, a tradesman's license because of the fact there's something on their record. So it's a matter of correcting but setting people up for success yeah. so that they can move forward and live a successful life. Wow. we got a couple of callers already, and your line, I'm not sure what's happening. It's still fading in and out a little bit because it gets really clear, then it kind of gets fuzzy, and we lose a couple of words here and there. So I want to uh, see if we can figure out what that's doing. But i got two calls for you, so we're going to take with them right after we come back from our first break at 817 with uh, Melvin Pearson, Deputy Director of the Florida ACLU. Greg Penglis here. I'll be right back. Hmm. Interesting. The, the never-ending uh, change in our bumper music here. 821 in the morning. Okay, Melba, here's where the fun begins. We're going to take uh, some calls now. Let's get uh, Gino on the line. Gino, what you got? Well, first of all, thank you for letting me talk. Absolutely. Um, I had two things. One is uh, minimum mandatory sentencing and how that affects, you know, long-term incarceration or it it takes the uh, – the ability of a judge to look at a person and say this person deserves this and this person doesn't deserve that and then another thing was the minimum minimum 
mandatory, not the minimum mandatory, but yeah, that, that I think is a problem with the mass incarceration, but also the plea bargaining where, you know, a person is threatened with 10 years unless you take 18 months. And, you know, eventually these people are so afraid, you know, they're threatened with, oh, a jury's going to find you guilty and you're going to go away for 10 years if you don't, you know, take this plea bargain. And I was wondering how she felt about those two things because I, I, I think those are a problem with just the justice system in general. It's just, it's, it's just, um, those two things kind of bother me, and I'm going to hang up and listen to what she says. Okay. Thanks so much for your call, Gino. Those are both excellent questions. So, yeah, we've got minimum. Let's take a look at mandatory sentences, and then we'll take on plea bargaining. Melba? Absolutely. Gino, thank you for that point, because I agree with you wholeheartedly. Minimum mandatories have been incredibly destructive. It takes the discretion away from the judge to be able to consider the severity of the crime, criminal history, uh, you know, sophistication, how much planning was put into the particular act. So I fully agree that minimum mandatories need to end, and we need to get back to a place where judges have the discretion, and not only the judges, but the parties in the courtroom, including the prosecutor and the defense attorney, to be able to craft a deal that may work in favor of the, the person accused. Now, turning to plea bargains, Again, I mean, minimum cards to that because either it's you got to take this plea because, you know, you don't want to roll the dice with the jury or it is used as a weapon by the prosecutor as in, you know, if you don't take this plea, nothing else is going to be offered and all you're going to get is a minimum mandatory. And folks shouldn't have to plead guilty out of fear. They should plead guilty because they want to plead guilty because they are guilty because they think this is the best thing for them and they're taking responsibility for what happened, not out of you know, I'm really not guilty, but I don't want to get this 25-year minimum mandatory. So that's, that's, my, that's my thoughts on that. Interesting. I have several questions that immediately come to mind. Public defenders versus, you know, really good expensive lawyers. Uh, does that make a huge difference that you saw in practice? Yes and no, and okay. and I know that's kind of a vague. <laughs> well, that's okay, but, but, you know, see the cop shows, you know, it looks like, oh, you don't want the public defender. They're fresh out of law school. They don't know anything. You know, that's, and, and that's the stereotype. You couldn't be more wrong. I mean, I have gone up against some amazing public defenders who are passionate, who believe in their clients, and will fight to the death for them, right? Okay. But I've also seen public defenders that were lazy and didn't want to do anything. Hmm. Um, you know, so it cuts both ways. The same way I've seen expensive defense attorneys, and I see someone come in, and I'm like, you just wasted your money because wow. you didn't do yourself a service. So I think if anyone, let's say, is trying to choose uh, an attorney, they really should, you know, look at their history, get some references and referrals from, from other folks and see, you know, where they ended up. And But don't all automatically discount the public defender because there are, you know, a really good core of public defenders out there who believe in justice and fight their best for their clients. Interesting. I'm wondering how we can take some of the subjectivity out of the judicial system because you've got you know good judges and bad judges and good lawyers and bad lawyers and right. you know someone who will issue huge sentences and in the next court you might get a minimum sentence. The case that comes to mind uh, is down in Stanford that sexual assault case which people prosecuted like crazy where this student uh, got three months for basically assaulting someone who was unconscious and the community just screamed and yelled about that. Uh, yeah. Where would you come down on that on the ACLU? Well, the, the bottom line is we're looking for equity across the board. Okay. And, you know, 
it, it's a man. And what the reason why that that was so horrible is that you would find, and I, I believe there was another young man that was African American, similarly situated, okay. also at a college, was a football star as opposed to a swimming star, because the fellow at Stanford was was a swimmer, okay. and he ended up getting in, in the neighborhood of fifteen years for a similar type of offense. So that that is incredibly problematic. So it's either one or the other across the board. There shouldn't be this disparity because of, oh, well, this person's wealthy or this person might go to the Olympics or, you know, or race, whatever the, the, the issue is there. It should be across the board risk assessment. Mm-hmm. Is the person, you know, a danger to society? And how can we rehabilitate the person? But isn't that the point of, of sentencing guidelines so that, it, uh, say, an African-American person who commits the same crime as a white person doesn't get 15 years, the other one gets three months for the same crime, that we have some kind of equity in the system that judges the crime, uh, not the person and their life and where they might go 10 years from now? And ideally, in an ideal world, yes, but that's not the reality of how it's executed okay. in in our world, in our criminal justice system right now, um, you will see cases where because someone has a fancy attorney or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. the minimum mandatory gets waived. Yeah. As opposed to the African-American kid who gets the minimum mandatory every single time. Yeah. So if it's not being uh, administered in an equal way, we have a problem. Yeah, I want to get into, a huge problem. Yeah, I want to get into the whole aspect. We talked a little bit about this yesterday of racial justice and the differences, you know, going back to Harlem with uh, the heroin epidemic. But first I want to take Marshall. And to listen. Sure. He, Marshall's a regular caller, so, so this should be fun. Marshall, go ahead. Uh, I appreciate the conversation. I come at this from a different point of view, having enjoyed the criminal justice facilities. I do not understand why the violent criminal isn't separated from the nonviolent when they get sentenced. And the other thing is, you keep bringing up these racial disparities, but we don't talk about the uh, white people who were waving guns and flags and got sentences that were longer than the four people that raped and murdered two young people in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, I believe it was. Did you know which case so do you have you know, which case those were? Melba, are you familiar with those cases? No, I the am Newsom, not, no. The Christian Newsom murder. Okay. It was the most violent murder in American history in a long time. It got absolutely no press. Same way with Dr. Gosnell. These were both African-American criminals. And the, uh, the white people that waved uh, rebel flags and waved guns at a birthday party for some that some African-Americans were having, they were given extremely long sentences. Uh, When it comes to the cost of incarceration, I think part of that is due because of the ACLU. Um, Sheriff Arpaio out in uh, Arizona didn't have a problem putting prisoners in tents, and I think we worry too much about the criminal. When I was locked up, I was the only guilty person in there. Everybody else was innocent. It was the most amazing experience I ever had in my life to find out how wicked our system is. Hmm. I know it's far from perfect, but you've got a lot of people that deserve to be in there and never see the light of day. And the, the criminal that was given 15 years for the rape and the other one three months, I think both of them should have got 50 years. Okay. Let's see. You have a question, and we'll get to Melba's response to that, uh, Marshall. Hey. 
I appreciate it. Okay, thanks, Marshall. All right, so we got a lot of issues that we're uh, we're going over there. We can we can cover the you know prisoners' intents and, and differences in sentences and just you know too much uh, given to the prisoners, not enough to the victims. What do you think? Well, uh, I am not familiar with the cases that uh, Marshall was referring to, but I will say this. Uh, you can't put prisoners in tents. That's violating their constitutional rights. Uh, that goes under cruel and inhuman punishment. And that is something that is codified in our Constitution. So we can't conveniently ignore it because it works better for us or it feels better. You know, the Constitution is the Constitution. So prisoners have a right to be in, you know, humane quarters. And, you know, I know he went through his experience, so I certainly am not going to take that away from him. But let me tell you this. Uh, incarceration for people that are white is much lower than that for African Americans. Let me give you a statistic. Okay. 448 per 100,000 for white people, but 1,621 per 100,000 for black people. So that's 3.6 times higher. African-Americans are incarcerated at a higher rate, even though they are not committing more crimes. Let's go back to the drug issue, all right? Mm -hmm. Everybody uses drugs at the same rate. There's multiple studies that have shown that. African-Americans and white folks and other people of color use drugs at the same rate. However, African-Americans end, end up going to prison much more for the same drug use. So, for instance, looking at marijuana. There were 57, over 57,000 57, marijuana arrests in Florida for 2010. African Americans were arrested four times more than white folks for marijuana. But the usage is the same. That's where the racial disparities come in. So it's not to say that white folks don't commit crimes and, you know, uh, black folks do or vice versa. It's just that the enforcement has been so disproportional. And the sentences have been so much longer. Hmm. So therein lies the issue. Now, this is what's interesting, because I remember reading the FBI crime stats or, or reading articles on them, and I don't have the actual numbers in front of me, but mm -hmm. uh, that African Americans do commit crimes at a rate higher uh, than, than white Americans, and because of that, you're going to have a higher incarceration rate, and you're disputing those figures, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, and, and... Okay, no, go ahead. The, the, the other aspect is, uh -huh. if you are disproportionately enforcing in one community. So let's, let's, look at, uh, let's look at two communities. You have an inner city community, an urban core community, okay. and you have a suburb, all right? Now, kids, as we all know, love to go for joy rides, right? In a suburban, I never did. Well, well that, once, okay. One okay, time I, I did. I never did either. Yeah. I never did either, but I no, have, have seen people. Mine was legal. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the, the reality is you take the same... Yeah, the, the cops pull the kids over, they take them back to their parents, they, you know, the parents yell at them, whatever the case may be, the car is returned, no harm, no foul. You look at an urban core community. What's that? What is an what, urban core community? What does that mean exactly? Inner city. Okay. Um, you look at an inner city community, and those same group of kids, now a different race, goes for a joyride, they end up getting arrested for Grand Theft Auto. And you have stats so, and all this and numbers and all kinds of things that we could cite yeah, sure, yeah. Okay. Not handy in front of me. But no, I don't not expect you to, but the, yeah. The general premise, yes, of course. Okay, yeah. So, so that, that's the inequity of, of enforcement. 
So what is considered a crime in one community is not necessarily considered a crime in a different community or it's handled differently. That's the difference in, you know, you have like a SWAT team coming in to mm-hmm. uh, enforce laws as opposed to your community police officer who gets to know the, the kids in the neighborhood, gets to know the family and looks for alternative ways to keep this kid out of the system. In, in this particular scenario. Let's, let's get down to the nitty-gritty here. Uh, other than mm-hmm. just, just saying racism, why? What, what possible, what, what are some of the reasons for this? What, why would communities do this, what, you know, or different police departments do this? What, what, you know, where did this all come from? Well, okay, well, that, that, that's a very did, broad question. But you want to think about it for a minute? I'll come back for a break. Sure, let's, sure. let's do that. We've got a couple of calls, too. We're going to take them right away. So the, let's get to the, the, the real basis why we have such differences uh, in, in racial treatment here, and we'll see what happens. 834, Craig Bengals here. I'll be right back. Nanda, from down Nanda. Oh, ACDC here. We're certainly raising some thunder here. We're having some... Uh, some great conversations with my guest, uh, Melba Pearson, Deputy Director of the ACLU, to whom I asked this very open question of the disparities in, in race. I want to try and get, like I say, just beyond uh, the claim of racism into the psychology, you know, who's benefiting. Usually when something like this happens, somebody benefits, makes money or something. But what, what is it in our, our national psychology or local psychology or something? Where, where, you know, where, where does, has this come from and, and how do we change the system? All right, so I'm going to attack it from several different angles. First of all, one of the issues I think is the issue of community policing, which is is something that was really, really enforced under uh, President Obama and under both Attorney Generals, uh, Attorney General Holder and Attorney General Lynch, where officers were encouraged to become, you know, get to know the people in your community, get out of the car and walk around and, you know, sort of like the throwback to like the 60s and 70s uh, police shows that... Yeah, we talked about that. Adam 12, where'd where those cops go? But wasn't that before that, you know, and, and does the president and the attorney general have that much control over local police departments? Can't they do that themselves anyway? They can, they can. Okay. But what they did on a federal level was provide more grants and more money to be able to fund that for different departments. Okay. And under this attorney general, that is clearly not a priority. But the reason why that is so important is because officers need to be a part of the community. If you look at some of the suburban neighborhoods, the officers live in that neighborhood. They know the people intimately or they you know, live one neighborhood over. Okay. So they kind of see themselves as part of the people. So if Johnny commits a crime, they either know Johnny, their kid plays football with Johnny, right. and, and it's a different level of investment. Okay. Now, when you go to an urban core community, you don't have officers that live in that community. They may come from you know, I think about, for instance, in New York, we had a problem, especially in the 80s and early 90s, where officers lived, for instance, in Staten Island, which was a separate borough in New York, right. where you had to take a ferry to get to, right? Yeah. And then they're coming into the city to police in the Bronx, where it's someplace they never, you know, interact. They never really come to the city. So now they're viewing the, the community they're policing as others, who, those people. And I go back home to my enclave where I'm safe and I'm surrounded by people like me. 
So that separation breeds, in a way, contempt. So that's one issue. And that lack of respect then leads to, leads to rougher treatment, as opposed to when you have respect for the people that you're policing, you, you act in a different manner. And then the next issue is funding, which comes from, for instance, if you look at your suburban neighborhoods, there's a higher tax base because of the, the value of the home. So there's more money to put towards policing. In urban core neighborhoods, you don't have that same amount of resources. And part of that is historical, because if you go back in history, FHA and banks refused to lend to African Americans and to people of color. So if you weren't getting loans to be able to, a mortgage to be able to buy a house, well, you were going to go where you either, if you couldn't buy, then you ended up renting and you ended up maybe in a neighborhood that was less than desirable. And then once African Americans were then able to get mortgages, then the next thing was redlining. Well, you can get a mortgage, but only in this area. You can't go into that area. And then you had realtors who would not sell to African Americans. So for generations, African Americans got locked out of being able to be in suburbs with the higher tax bracket and the better police department. Now that's changing. But now you're looking at maybe one or two generations of, of home ownership which then again, that's where your wealth comes from. When you do have that start in life and your, your family either passes down the house to you or, you know, they're able to assist you in getting a down payment by taking out a mortgage on their own house, like a second mortgage, then you, you've got that, that leg up. If you don't have that, now you're starting from behind the eight ball and trying to figure out how to get to the, to the next level. Yeah. So that, you know, it's very complicated, but those are some of the, I think, basic themes that, that are causing this problem. Yeah, I always try to think of a, who's making money off this, like the opiate crisis or whatever's going on. A um, couple of thoughts I had was if local police can't live in the neighborhoods, then there might be some kind of a grant program that actually puts them in the, the inner core neighborhoods. It might be an interesting uh, project as opposed to spending money on more equipment, more you know, SWAT team stuff. And, is that if uh, local police you know, out of the neighborhoods, state police are even further removed, federal police are even further removed from that. There's no provision in the Constitution for federal police. Uh, and I think that's how we get a situation like Waco, which we talked a little bit about yesterday, uh, as the ultimate removal and complete um, over-abuse, uh, murderous abuse, actually, of, of federal law enforcement powers. Do you do much with federal law enforcement? And then we'll take Pete, Pete's call. Um, I do not. The ACLU does. Okay. But that is not my area of expertise. I have a basic understanding, but, you know, nothing to do a deeper dive with. <laughs> okay. Well, I just want to make that point then for everybody else. So let's get Pete on the line. Pete, go ahead. Hey, thank you very much for, uh, for having your guest on. You're clearing things up for us. I appreciate the phone call. That's my uh, job. I have three quick questions, if we can. I'm sure. not going to try to filibuster anything. Uh, what, <laughs> how do you, what's the uh, position on the death penalty? We are opposed to the death penalty. Okay. What's your position on the 4,000 abortions a day? Uh, that may not be an area of expertise here. Well, right. it still but, happens. But we are pro-choice. But, okay. You know. So we're, there's, no, you know, there's no death penalty, but it's okay for the 4,000 abortions every day. We can call them procedures. We can call it ladies' health care, whatever, but it's 4,000 heartbeats are being stopped, and that's okay. That's the law of the land at this juncture, yes. Okay, well, slavery was the law of the land, too, a long time ago. Here's another thing. Should I be allowed to marry, I'm an adult, should I be allowed to marry anybody that I love? An adult. Would an adult marry another adult? 
I think, you, I think you're being set up here. Something tells me. Pete, no, no, please. no. These are, I know. I, I mean, no, <laughs> these are just questions. I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll go with it for the time being. But, yes, that is currently the law of the land. Okay, so I should be able to marry my brother, a younger brother, if he's 25? That's not the law of the land. That's Exactly. <laughs> I mean, but why not, though? I mean, if I love him, I mean, it's all civil liberties, right? You know what? Let's ask you a more general question uh, as to where – what. Are, so, so, Pete, thanks for your call. Uh, let's, let's get to what you think the limits – of the ACLU and civil liberties are. Let's kind of put it on that basis. Well, the limits are, obviously, we're looking at human dignity. Right. We're looking at safety. And we're looking at what's within the bounds of the Constitution. So, above all else, we uphold the Constitution. And as the way I like to talk about the ACLU is that we're constitutional purists, right? So, we may not agree on a lot of different things, but the reality is this. If it's written in the Constitution, it has to be upheld. Until there's an amendment that says otherwise, the Constitution stands the way it is. And obviously, I know people disagree with regards to you know, gay marriage and, and to abortion and all of that. But these are the law, that's the law of the land. Okay. So, it is what it is. Right, now, here's an interesting question. Then. If the ACLU are constitutional purists and judicial review is not a delegated power to the Supreme Court, how can laws of the or how can decisions of the Supreme Court become law? And that would include Roe v. Wade, uh, Obamacare, uh, different things like that that they have approved of over the years uh, that are not, you know, if you're if you're a purist, that aren't technically laws. Then let me throw, yeah, that, let me throw that in your your uh, wagon and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to disagree with you on that okay. because of the fact that uh, the, the purpose of the courts, we, you know, we have three branches of government, right? You have right. the executive, mm-hmm. you've got the legislative, you've got the judiciary, and mm-hmm. each of them have their purpose. And when the legislature makes a law, sometimes the law is not very clear. Sometimes it is contrary to mm-hmm. what the Constitution says, and somebody has to interpret that. And you can't have the legislators interpreting their own laws, right, because they're going to say, well, what we wrote is correct. Okay. So that's why you have a group of legal scholars mm-hmm. or the judiciary who looks at these laws, looks at the Constitution and says, you know what, based on this, maybe the history of other cases similarly situated or, you know, based on our reading of the Constitution and looking at the language and looking at the intent, this is how we come to the conclusion that this isn't constitutional and this has to change or this is how to make this law more constitutional. Okay. Now, if you believe that the people are supreme to the government, then the people's representatives in the legal cases, the jury, would be supreme to the judges, which is my contention, so that the highest legal authority is actually the jury, which tests the laws and and judges whether they're fair or not by nullifying laws they believe to be unjust. And that is a higher power than the judges, which is job is to make sure that the uh, the rules of evidence are followed, the courts are uh, the cases are administered properly, and they settle disputes between parties. So, what would you think of that? Yeah, I know you had written a very interesting piece with regard <laughs> to jury nullification and, uh-huh. and, and that that uh, situation. Uh, you know, I don't want to do too much of a deep dive into that, but okay. the bottom line is this: the jurors are the they they judge the facts, and okay. the judge judges the law. Um, the judge presents the law to the jury, and then the jury makes a decision whether a certain set of facts runs afoul of the law. But the judge and, judge represents the government, though. So isn't that isn't that just as biased as the as the legislature uh, approving their own laws? No, the judge doesn't represent the government because in many cases the judge is elected by the people. So are the um, legislators. Correct. 
But at the same token, he is in the judici or she is in the judiciary, which is a separate branch. And the purpose of the judiciary is to interpret the laws and to decide whether or not a law is constitutional. Yep. So based on, on that definition, then the judge is, is in his or her rightful place in deciding whether or not, you know, okay, here's what the laws are, here's the laws that apply. Or, for instance, if you have a pretrial hearing, saying, well, you don't even have enough to go forward to trial because, you know, these this part or these elements were not met. So yep. and that that's is, why it's very important to vote judicial elections. Yeah, and <laughs> oh, that's okay. And that is, where, that is where I would disagree with you completely. We're going to have to hash this out one day uh, at, at another show because it's my contention that the, 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 uh, the judges and the justices of the Supreme Court have no constitutional authority. Being a constitutional purist myself, uh, and knowing that judicial review is a power that was usurped in Marbury versus Madison, it was uh, you know the John Marshall Court. I'm a favor in favor of the John Jay Court, which actually uh, promoted the fact that juries can nullify laws and should judge the laws in the case. And so that is where we're going to have one massive disagreement. But that's okay. That's why we talk. Um, I think it's a beautiful is, thing. Yeah, it is a beautiful thing. And that's why I'm so glad you're here. It's 8:49. I have to take one more break. Then we we'll get to Steve. So we'll be right back here with Melba Pearson, uh, Deputy Director for Florida ACLU. All right, listen up, maggots, because I have something to say that you might want to hear. It's for every man 18 through 25 years old. Now, you want to live in my United States of America? Then you have got to register with Selective Service. It's a privilege, and it's the law. The fact is, you must register before you can qualify for student loans, most federal jobs, or job training. Now... You say you want to be a U.S. citizen? Got to be registered to qualify. Now, Charlie tells me that we need to go online at sss.gov or fill out a selective service registration form at any post office. You did that already? Outstanding! You've earned my respect. Hoorah! Register with selective service online at sss.gov or at the post office. It's the law. Got some interesting music going on here. Eight fifty-two I mean, in the morning. Was that just for me? <laughs> we, no, A Dog is great. He he does all kinds of things. He'll he'll take us from like you know early jazz to punk. <laughs> it's, it's all kind of fun. I got a couple of quick, quick questions before we get to Steve. Um, selective service. We just had an ad for that. Is that constitutional uh, by the ACLU's uh, judging? Yeah, not my area of expertise. That's fine. No problem. The other one is death penalty. Uh, why is that uh, cruel and unusual? Is it the method or the fact that it just is a death penalty? Um, it's the method, number one. Okay. It's the fact that it is the death penalty. It's the fact that it's permanent. So if you find out later on, based on new evidence, that the person is innocent, you can't take it back. Um, it's the fact that it has been disproportionately applied. Uh, looking at Florida... African-Americans are about 17% of the population mm -hmm. in 2015, but they make up 39% of the death row population. Uh, you have similar statistics across the country. And then when you look at the time on death row before the sentence is actually carried out, you're looking at an average in the last 15 years of 20 to 25 years sitting on death row before you are actually um, executed, which, again, cost a great deal. It yeah. costs a great deal in appeals. And it doesn't make your community safer because 
that's not a deterrent. In all my years of a prosecutor, as a prosecutor, I've never heard anybody say, well, I'm not going to commit that murder because it's a death penalty offense. <laughs> it doesn't happen that way. Well, even the fact that you're arrested for murder and put away for life hasn't deterred you know, people who are going to commit murder, commit murder. That's just this thing. Where I do agree with you is that uh, my feeling is no innocent person should ever be executed, uh, especially if we have DNA now. But uh, So that's why I'm very careful with it. The other thing, I think, is that we call it life in prison, but why don't we call it death in prison? Because if you're in prison and there's no possible chance of parole, that is, in fact, a death sentence. That's the way I look at it. Um, let me just bring Steve in the conversation here, and we just have a few minutes left. Steve, go ahead. To your guest, um, I'm a Vietnam Gulf War veteran. I served uh, many years with U.S. Navy SEALs and U.S. Marines. Question, and I've got a point after this. Is it cruel or unusual punishment to house our military personnel in tents? Waiting for an answer. Steve, breathe, relax. It's okay. I'm, we, I'm yeah. very relaxed. Just waiting for an answer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> very quick with answering the other questions. Still waiting. You know what? This is why I say we want to be nice to our guests so that we have folks who disagree with us, right. you know, as conservatives, you know, on the show. So we'll talk about that. The standards of the military uh, treatment, uh, is, is there a cruel and unusual standard uh, for the military? That's actually a good question. Oh, Steve, first of all, thank you for your service. And obviously you've put your life on the line for our country, and we are appreciative of all of our military for the great service they perform. Now, personally, I, and this is me personally, you know, I, I don't like the fact that the military has to sleep in tents in, in you know, cruel circumstances, especially in Vietnam with the, the jungle and the possibility of disease and everything else. I understand it means to an end, and that's not a permanent situation where you are now going to live in the tent for the next 10 years because that's part of a sentence. To me, yeah, I look yeah. at it as it's part of a means to an end. You need to uh, do this invasion or this military operation. You have to be on the move. It's a completely different than a way of punishing people. Well, if I may, it was a means to an end with Sheriff Arpaio also, because I know him and I've studied it at length. And the means to the end was they had no permanent housing, and it was not cruel and unusual for the prisoners, nor is it cruel and unusual for military personnel with whom I served. Um, I think I heard you dispute FBI crime statistics proving that crime perpetrated by black small population far outnumbers the crimes committed by a much larger white population. I heard a black man, Larry Elder, a black radio talk show. He's one of our hosts here on, station, the, on the station, yeah. On this station just days ago, quoting the statistics for several minutes, very articulately, and it was not shocking to me because I followed this being a 65-year-old retired person. Yeah. Uh, I watched this, and a very tiny, tiny black population commits a great, great number of the crimes. Yeah, very, very little time left. We only we have less than a minute, I, so I let's get you right to your question, Steve. Your opinion is very specious to even dispute this. Okay. Let's, let's hold it right there. So last reaction, and let's get some contact information for you. And also, thank you for coming on my show, and I have a, hope to get a bunch more guests on the various levels of the expertise we talked about. So let's answer Steve's question and then uh, some contact stuff, and that should do us for today. Well, one of my main thrusts of what I've been saying throughout the day was that the enforcement is disproportionate. So it's not to say that African-Americans and white people commit crimes at a different rate. It's also that African-Americans are finding more enforcement in their communities and crimes are being handled differently than they are in white communities. And I gave the example earlier of the... Ten seconds of, left. Right, I gave the example earlier of the car theft. So that's one of the diversions issues. Huh. And like I said, I have not seen the FBI crime stats. If I stand corrected, I am one. 
Action Radio, dedicated to fixing everything. Okay, let's bring it back to present day. So uh, and I tell my guests, limited time, <laughs> so get your contact information. I tell them that uh, we got 10 seconds, and they still keep talking, and that's okay. So that was You know, Pearson. I had a yeah, conversation with a lady once, and uh, actually, <clears throat> five minutes after she started stopping, I wish you had stopped the interview, and we could have uh, uh, dissected what she, the point she made out there, which a lot of them are flawed. I think with, yeah, and it was, and there's a lot of things, like I say, sometimes with guests, I'll let them talk and, and see if colleagues disagree or I, you know, there are things, I mean, there's a million things I could have challenged. Unfortunately, with blog talk, if I stop, it goes back to the beginning. You can't stop and oh. continue with the sound clip. So I really have to play them out. So the best thing is, in fact, that's a really good point. I'll, I'll try to make it next time that uh, take a note, take a note or two, um, because these interviews, yeah, these were hour long. Okay. We got so much time if you want to go over it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to have her back. I just looked up uh, uh, the Florida ACLU and Melba Pearson is still the deputy director. So she's been there five years now. So uh, I'm going to send her her old interview uh, and probably my recent one with David Stockman uh, or just some example of one of of our modern shows here and see if she'll come back on because that would be a good chance. And I was taking notes myself. I want to talk to her about the gun control laws, about the January 6th prisoners and habeas corpus, about critical race theory, uh, gay marriage, Roe v. Wade. Uh, there's a bunch of issues that I wrote down that I think would be great to have her well, on, like the one uh, on a regular says, basis. Yeah. Uh-huh. How can you be against the death penalty and you've got the uh, – she, she's going to be talking to black slant. <clears throat> At one point in time, over a period of time, you mm-hmm. had 1,200 – Black Americans, well, you had 1,200 black babies being aborted uh, a day. That's a great question. Yeah, 15 hours. So how are you going to be able to get against the death penalty? People have to know the type of question. Then she throw these statistics out there. Right. Well, they're and like wrong. the black caller said that you got yeah. a small, you got a population of blacks that's committing a, a lot of crimes. So quite natural, they're going to be. Uh, you put yourself in a position to be caught or to be apprehended or detained for doing something that's illegal, more so than anybody else. But quite natural, you're going to rise up to the top of the statistics. I think your statistics were wrong, quite frankly. Everything I've heard. Um, says that uh, you know the, the blacks disproportionately commit more crimes than whites. You know, so so it would make sense that you'd have a larger black population in jail proportionate to the the white population simply because there are more black folks committing more crimes proportionally than whites. So that only makes sense. Larry Elder said that uh, a lot of the, I think the FBI crime stats say that. So my question is, where is she getting her stuff from? That's why I ask I ask sources when it comes to uh, statistics. Where's the study? Did this come from the Brookings Institution? Did this come from the Brennan? You know, law center from William Brennan, who is the one of the most liberal judges ever to serve on the Supreme Court. So, is it agenda driven? You know, it'd be interesting. But uh, like I say, there's there's a lot of things. Uh, the confirmation hearings. Uh, the, the I would talk about especially January 6th, habeas corpus, uh, the stolen election. You know, the ability to investigate it. Um, all the mandates that have come out of the Brennan insurrection. You know, whether you have to follow a mandate from someone who's not legally there. I mean, there's a lot of questions I would have for her. And as I look at this list that I compiled, I'm thinking, you know what? I should probably have her back, you know, two or three times a year because yeah. there's so many issues here. Uh, and she's a decent guest. And I think as long as I treat, you know, folks who disagree with me, it's like when I had uh, Taylor Smith on 
Uh, she's an 18 year old. Uh, she was a college student then, but she was high school, you know, when she was doing some activism after the, 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 uh, the Douglas Stoneman uh, assassinations by that whack job. Um, but we talked gun control and she was obviously disagreeing with me and it was fine. But, you know, if you treat people civilly, even though they disagree, they come back and we understand each other. That's, that's one of the main purposes of the show. So when I get ambushing callers, it's like, no, stop doing that. <laughs> but uh, I'll talk to her. Well, you know, ACLU, yeah. ACLU uh-huh. I would consider one of the problems, especially. Well, I'm not going to say especially, but uh, now mm-hmm. they use the word black and brown, where it was at one time black. That way you kind of make your, uh, who you support bigger than what they really are, are those who support you. But she talks about the programs, and they always talk about these programs. You always have these socialists and uh, talk about these programs. But who's going to pay for these programs? That's the problem. And see, you say that you got uh, one side one population that disproportionately affected, well, that population is uh, uncommonly not doing the things that the other side is doing, whereas their kids are not caught up in the circumstances that lead them to become statistics. And that starts at the home. That's not mm-hmm. for me to pay out of my pocket to make sure that your home, parents, and family uh, do the right thing with your child. But that's what seemingly they want. And if you keep uh, kowtowing to these programs, sooner or later those programs will have a budget larger than the defense budget. Well, the the interest on the national debt is is either at or above the national defense budget. We pay more money for the money we've borrowed than we do to defend ourselves. That's irrational. That's that's insane. No, I'll have it back. In fact, I I look forward to you two uh, having a conversation. I think it will be very interesting. Um, to see what uh, you know, where you go with this. But I'll, I'll, work, I'll work on that. I think she knows me. She oh, knows really? Me. She knows. Stick around too long. I ran into these people before. Yes, and I recognize the voice. I didn't recognize the name. Do you, do you, are you? Are you do know? Or have you talked to her before? Have you met in person? Or you just know of her? Or what? And now I'm curious. I've, been on, I've talked to her on shows before. Yes. Really? Times, Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm curious. All right. Well, let's let's see what happens. Uh, I don't see why she wouldn't talk to you here. You know, we're we're a friendly environment. Uh, in fact, I encourage more liberals to call. I was trying to get uh, uh, the woman who was running against uh, Mac Gates, uh, Rebecca something, and I guess she had some some legal troubles, which caused her not to be uh, uh, in the election. But uh, yeah, I mean, I welcome more liberal folks calling the show. Hey, if you're Marxist, call the show. You know, we even had a had a neo-Nazi call the show. Has his own show on Blog Talk. You know, he's called Bert. Bert's called us a few times. We've got Warren from uh, Wake Up New Orleans, you know, Black Lives Matter representative. He's called the show. There's nothing wrong with calling the show. Um, I'll tell you the, the most interesting thing, and I'm gonna, we'll, we'll tie up here in just a little bit. Uh, it's pouring rain. I'm just afraid that we're going to get the signal cut again. But the, I left one ad in, and that was for the Selective Service. Now, you don't hear ads for the Selective Service during the Brandon insurrection because all those illegal aliens would be required, those 18 to 25-year-old men, would be if they're in the country, uh, is, is the, the law is regardless of immigration status. And, and you hear Arlie Ermey in the end saying that, uh, you know, before you can become an American citizen, if you're 1825, you had to have registered for a selective service if you're a male. And I want to talk about the fact that it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, well, sex, I got one it's a sexist law. Yeah, go ahead. But wh- why, why, you know, and, and the illegals aren't registered. Go to war against Venezuela. 
let's go to war against Venezuela, then, then the illegals up here from Venezuela, that's armed in, and now you can go back and uh, fight your government that you ran from. Yeah, well, it would be interesting if we drafted the illegals. How about that? You know, what yeah. I, well, well, think about that. What if we brought back the draft for illegals? Wouldn't that be fascinating? Yeah, draft but then the they illegals. Pass, then they want to pass this in the war no, draft the illegals that they can even. Draft illegals with no pathway to citizenship, but we'll just call that um, uh, what's that reparations? Illegal alien reparations. We'll, we'll draft all the illegals. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know. Well, okay. Well, uh, all right, anyway, let's we'll find that. But don't you find it interesting that the the selective service law, you know, is one of the great sexist illegal laws according to equal protection of the Fourteenth Amendment that still exists. At one time it was, yes, because you figured that the husband would go off the bell and the wife would take care of the kids. That's when you had uh-huh. family, bigger family. Yeah. See, I'm against the draft in general, um, although I'm not against, uh, you know, in a draft for war. But, I, you know, as far as compulsory military service, I think, I mean, I wish I'd served. I mean, I do. You know, I was a confused kid, grew up in three different countries. You know, which military would I serve under? I had, I had three countries, you know, experience by the time I was 18. Uh, that's confusing. Trust me. But I'm thinking, but I still want to be, you know, the, when I came to it older, you know, by the time I decided to do it, I was wearing glasses. So that kind of ended my Air Force pilot career. Um, but, uh, but the idea of, of uh, drafting, of, of registering illegal aliens for selective service, that's, that's like saying, okay, you can stay. And that's the problem with it. So I object to the whole idea of, uh, see, illegal aliens should not be able to register for selective service because that connects them to the country. They can't pay taxes. They should have no connection to this country whatsoever because they're here illegally. So the idea of selective service for illegal aliens, uh, which they, that's the current law. This is regardless, you know, here in the ad, regardless of immigration status. If it wasn't in that ad, there are previous ads. But it's just interesting, too, that you don't hear selective service ads right now uh, saying that you have to register regardless of your, of your immigration status because that would mean all these illegal aliens that Brandon's bringing in would have to register for selective. I just found that interesting. Well, it's unusual. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's hold it up for today. And then I think, uh, let me try and get a hold of Melba Pearson. And if you guys have talked and she goes, oh, Pianchi, I remember you. <laughs> then that's going to be an interesting chat. That would be fun. But at least she's still doing Do you remember well, the last I time you heard she her? Was busy, but I've, 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 I know the point, the position where she's coming from. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I say, I've listened to her and have called in and, and asked her questions before, like the gentleman did about the a death penalty and versus abortion. Mm-hmm. Very good. It's and an interesting inconsistency. Yeah. It's a good question too. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, it's, if it's cruel, unusual, yeah. If it's cruel and unusual for the for the military for for prisoners to be kept in tents, you know, why do we allow it for the military who are not incarcerated and not having a a due process deprivation of rights? It's interesting. Yeah. I well, mean, this I don't is think that the death penalty is. It, it, I don't. I'm not against the death penalty as long as the person that's being put to death is uh, guilty of what they've done. You know, here's another thing. You can't be uh, swinging in and out of the Bible. Uh, some people uh, will swing into the Bible in order to get a point across. Then they will swing away from it because the Bible do say an eye for an eye, two for a two. And, of course, somebody's going to come along and say, well, you're taking that out of content or – some judge is going to give him a pinch. Mm-hmm. But it's clear. It's yeah, clear. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, the biggest problem is people... All right, well, look, you all... 
What's that? Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah, we're overtime. Three hours ago. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, they give us a little overtime, but I try not to abuse the privilege. Besides, I think three hours is plenty. You know, I, I can say what I want in that time. All right, sir. Thank you very much. Let's do it again tomorrow. And uh, we got our Thursday show. And so I have no idea what I'm even doing for Thursday. What is tomorrow? Is anything special? Nope. It's regular Thursday. Thursday. Hold it. We got the, well, we got the election report, the new election integrity report. First two hours, haven't figured out. We're, I'm looking for more reports. You know, we can have more guests on. Um, yeah, where's you your know. gun reports? Well, Jim. Where's your second amendment reports? Well, Jim Dykes left the show uh, because he had to. He, he had a conflict. Um, and uh, Shirley uh, Watchell has been off for a couple of weeks, but she's back tomorrow. She's back Friday. So we're going to get back to our gun show. Okay. I got a big gun article that I covered in the first half hour. I'll be doing it. Uh, I'm sure Shirley will, will see that. And if not, I'll, I'll point it out and we'll, uh, we'll talk about that on Friday. All right, sir. We'll do it again tomorrow, 7 o'clock, 8 in right, Eastern thank Time. Later. Thanks, Jackie. And so, again, so uh, just a couple things. Yeah. So if you want to help the show, we've got our, our, our new financial campaign we're kicking off here so I can do more stuff. Uh, with Action Radio and break through our censorship. So givesendgo.com slash Action Radio. That's givesendgo.com slash Action Radio. Or also uh, PayPal, paypal.com slash paypal.me slash Action Radio. Those will help uh, get us going here. And again, whoop, I think I'm about to sneeze. I'm going to have to mute myself here. Hang on. I'll be right back. Well, good thing you didn't hear that. <laughs> that was a bit much. Anyway, um, but um, these are the things that, uh, that, that, that we really need to do. In fact, like I say, I'm going to see if I can get Heritage. You know, instead of having them request you know, millions of dollars from everybody else, maybe uh, help contribute to Action Radio since we're doing uh, the work that uh, we hope they will support and maybe should be doing themselves. So, you know, anyway, we'll get going. Um, tomorrow, 7 a.m. Central Time, uh, usual time for, for all our things. We have one report scheduled. That's the Election Integrity Report with Diane Warner, and that will be at 9 a.m. Central Time. And otherwise, we've just got, uh, I don't know. I got many articles, many subjects, many things going, and who knows what will happen between now and then. It's uh, life's a mystery. So let me play a couple things, and I will talk to you all tomorrow, 7 a.m. Central Time. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. <laughs>